Hello and welcome back to True Crime Guys Podcast. This is episode two of our Freeloader series. series. If you don't know what a freeloader is, a freeloader is possibly someone like you. If this is the first episode you listen to True Crime Guys, you're just listening for free. Totally cool. Load up on this content for free. And then when you get tired or when you get caught up on it, you can go to patreon.com slash true crime guys and you get a load more. Like probably close to like 30 more episodes now. Plus a bunch of other bonus content that we have on there outtakes uh we have another uh smaller show called higher thoughts it's it's a good time over there but anyways for those of you that can't um support the podcast in that way no big deal but we'd also like to let this hard work that we've put into these episodes be heard by some of you and you know so be it uh, two years later from the release but hey it's better than nothing and this is you know it's a good way to uh stay in touch with you guys on our off weeks so patreon.com slash true crime guys you could sign up there for two bucks a month get you access to all the episodes there's higher tiers for other rewards whatever but uh guys this is the milwaukee cannibal jeffrey dahmer i hope you all enjoy it you bunch of free lotus free lotus ninth grade uh, in biology class we had uh, the usual dissection of uh, fetal pigs and uh, I took I took the remains of that home and kept uh, the skeleton of it and I just started branching out uh, dogs cats I suppose it could have turned into a, a normal hobby like taxidermy all I know is that uh, I wanted to, to see what the insides of these animals looked like. I, I, uh, there may have been some violence involved, some underlying subconscious feelings of violence. Uh, just it was a, it was a compulsion. It became a compulsion. It was, it was a relief not to have to. Uh, such a gigantic secret that I had kept for so many years. And once I saw that I had no choice but to face it, I uh, decided to face it head on and uh, make a full confession. So uh, I am glad that the secrets are, are gone. I, I just get uh, angry with other people who who think that uh, they have a right to uh, to somehow try to blame my parents for what happened. That's not right at all. No one has the right to do that because they're totally innocent. They had no knowledge of it. And uh, that angers me. There comes a point where a person has to has to be accountable for what he's done. Can't go can't go around making excuses, uh, blaming other people or other things. So I, I alone am the one who is responsible for what's happened. The only motive that there ever was was to completely control a person, a person that I found physically attractive, and uh, keep them with me as long as possible, even if it meant just keeping a part of them.
All right, our case this week, one that I'd look forward to doing when we switched over from True Crime Las Vegas to True Crime Guys many moons ago. Right. Uh, Jeffrey Dahmer. Oh, never heard of him. One of my favorites. Never heard of the guy, huh? No, that's weird. He likes to eat people. Oh, he, yeah? He's a creep. Was he? He's a true creeper. Did he even kill anybody? He, you know when you compare his like kill count to some of the guys that we've done on this show? Not it, that impressive. It's not that impressive, but the way in which he did it was so disturbing to the average human that it's it made him infamous. Right. Well, he didn't really enjoy the kill. <clears throat> yeah, we got yeah. plenty of time to talk about that. Yeah, do Why we? he killed, I, I think I'm so. I'm on a schedule, so. You got to go? Yeah. All right, well, he killed people, he ate them, <laughs> pickled their penises, and <clears throat> that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> See you later. Thanks for paying <laughs> to <Bye-bye>. be here. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, you want to get into him, Jeffrey Dahmer? Yeah, I don't want to get into him, but we can talk about him. If he ate you... Nice. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> I guess that one is a good joke. Thanks, bro. All right. So he was born May 21st, 1960, Jeffrey Lionel Dahmer. Um, he was born at the Evangelical Deaconess Hospital in Milwaukee. Of course he was. Yeah. Such a crazy name for a hospital. It suits it's, him. It's very elaborate. <clears throat> yeah. His parents were Joyce Annette and Lionel Herbert Dahmer. Uh, his mother was a teletype machine instructor, one of those old school jobs. Really? What is that exactly? Did she, she just like type shit? Oh. For like, I think she was like send messages through computers, and she would like, I don't know, man. It was some weird early computer through stuff. computers in the seventies, sixties, sixties. Jesus, you know the computers that take up she an entire room. Yeah, that's, that's what like, I picture. Her, she was like running around all quick, pulling levers and pushing <laughs> buttons and shit. pulling little pins out of holes and like putting. <laughs> oh, them in honey, the... I'm exhausted. I've been running around the computer all day. <laughs> she was dramatic like that too. She probably did do that. Oh yeah, <clears throat> I heard she was heavily medicated for most of her life. Yeah, we'll get to it. All right. The father. Uh, we mentioned his uh, his name was Lionel. Right. He Who, was uh, he was kind of a student for through most of Jeff Jeff's uh, childhood. He yeah. was he was going he was going to, uh, for his degrees in chemistry and looking to make great money and take care of the family. It was kind right. of a rough. It, it was, was it, it was a rocky start. It was rocky because he was always he was always gone busy doing school and they ended yeah. up having to move quite a bit because of that for him to get grants and everything. I feel like this is common in American families. Like I, I don't think this is. You know, you can't go and be like, oh, well, his father wasn't there. Maybe his, his father was there more. I mean, this is a rocky start that Daddy most American there. families, I think, had. Oh, You're Trying absolutely. to build that, trying to build that career. Mm-hmm. There's going to be, you know, you get what you you get what you work for, you get what you pay for. So, yeah, you know. And and the further you go into this, his dad was always there for him, for Jeff. Like, right. always. You know, right. I, I feel like he did, he really did the best he could. Um, his mother, it was a tough pregnancy with Jeff. Uh, she she suffered different bouts of paralysis during the pregnancy. She was given injections of barbiturates and morphine, um, yeah. and she also had uh, was believed to have had pretty severe postpartum depression right, after, the, right. after the pregnancy. She just uh, she I don't know anxiety. She had a lot of issues, you know. Right. Uh, she I think she gave the father a lot of problems too just like he was he would come home and i think she'd just get all over his case and everything i don't know that's I think the vibe so. i got yeah the more i read the more i watched and heard it was just like i'm not trying to put any blame on the mom I'm just saying like she had her own issues and maybe genetically she passed on some of her some of her anxieties yeah her, some things to uh, social anxiety and stuff like that yeah. onto Dahmer. And it seemed like he was a perfect cocktail, like of what could go wrong if you have a kid and the kid ends up with your worst sides of both your personalities. Yeah, because like the dad, he's a, he's he's a chemist. Yeah, you know, so it's like you got Dahmer who's yeah. doing all these experiments, 
And then yeah. you got his mom who's got like these social anxieties and she's got like some mental issues. Right, right. So you combine the two. Yeah. I, sometimes like, I worry about that like with fucking my, Breaking Bad over here. Yeah. I worry <laughs> about that with my wife and I. Like if the kid got the worst sides of both of us, like what would happen? And I don't think it'd be Dahmer. <laughs> I don't think, <laughs> I'd hope not. <laughs> no, but, your kid's just going to be running around clapping all loud yeah. and shit. But you think, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Mike sees that side of me when he gets here and I'm fucking. Lauren is like wide open when I get here in the morning. He's like, all right, let's go. <laughs> and then by the time the show starts, I'm, like, I'm done. Dude, I need like fucking five cups of coffee just to be at regular speed right now. Try living with me. I drive my <laughs> wife nuts, man. <laughs> okay, so we talked about the mother suffering from postpartum depression. In 1962, the Dahmers moved to Iowa, Ames, Iowa. Um, his Jeffrey or Jeffrey's father was going there to work on his PhD. That was where he could yeah. go to get grants because it was real competitive in the uh, um, college field as far as getting grants for, right, his, right. for his field in chemistry and stuff. And he would go wherever it, it would help him financially to right. get. He had to go done. where the grants were. Right. So they moved to Iowa in 1964. Jeffrey was diagnosed with a double hernia in his scrotum. Now this is you know one of those moments. This is part of the young kid surgery that ruined a lot of. His his morale as a kid, yeah, you know what I mean. It was he's kinda, four years old at this time, yeah. And the move too, you know, it's changing a lot of things. And he, and his his mother probably didn't help the situation. I'm sure she was stressed out about it mm-hmm. as well. I'm sure they all were yeah. as a family. But then as a four year old, and you know, you see your parents who are usually your your comfort and your support are yeah. stressed out as well and working hard. And then yeah. you went through this surgery, and so now you feel different. Yeah, he. So. It said that he was in extreme pain before and after the surgery, and it actually it may have influenced later feelings of sexual inadequacy and insecurity. Huh. Um, also, I read that he feared that during this time that he was going to lose his penis, and his dad had to kind of like reinforce that you know he was going to be fine down there, and everything yeah. was going to be you know it's going to be fine. That's odd. But four years old, you said you had a thing about like stuff going on downstairs, like genitalia, like it freaks you out, like anything happening. Any kind of wrong, like, cancer yeah. down there. I don't like and- talking about it. <laughs> so maybe he had that thing that you have where you're, like, suit, like overly yeah. protective over your junk. <laughs> well, I didn't feel like I, I didn't feel like I was going to lose anything. Right. I just, yeah, I just don't like but had you about it. Had you? Do you think it could have messed you up if, if when you were four you had to have this kind of surgery? Um, I don't know. I don't think I would have known the difference at you four. Don't, you don't think you'd be, like, eating people later on if that happened to you when you were four? Um, Possibly. Okay. So. That's good insight. We'll, we'll leave it out there, I guess. Yeah. Um, his father, Lionel, claimed that during this time, uh, when they were moving around, and then he had the surgery, um, he, that Jeffrey began to come more, become more introverted and withdrawn. Huh. Like when he was when yeah. he was younger, so they start moving around. You know, he's four, yeah. five, six years old. He and, started out as like a real bubbly kid. Yeah, like exactly. He loved life. He was high energy and yeah, full of fun and joy and and, and like always like interested in the wonders of everything, like how right, things right. worked. You know, that never changed. He always wanted to yeah. know how things worked inside out, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and so they also moved again in November of 1966. They moved to Doylestown, Ohio. Um, I believe this is when his father got a job. So he went from, they went from Wisconsin mm-hmm. to uh, Iowa to, for him to get through college and get his right. grants and stuff. And then he got through college and got a job uh, doing exactly what he wanted right. in and this Doylestown, is the time Ohio. that... That Jeff's dad had always promised that, you know, things will calm down. Once I get a job, yes. things will calm down. Things will become more The marriage regular. was on the rocks during school because it was so tough. And right, she, his right. wife was lonely and everything. And 
And so now he gets the job and things got better for a little while. Jeff's still struggling though. He's struggling with yet another move. He had like a neighbor friend at the previous house, I believe in Iowa that he really liked. And then when he moved there, he became even more detached. Right. So they started doing things to try and help him along and and like cheer him up. They got him a dog named Frisky, which he loved. Um, They also, uh, when they were pregnant with their second child, they allowed Jeff to choose the name for his baby brother. He chose David. That uh, his younger brother David was born on December eighteenth. Dang, that was a ballsy move. I mean, he could have chose anything. He could have <laughs> chose anything. Being sarcastic. <laughs> yeah. No. What's wrong I with mean, David? No, I mean he could have chose anything. Like Jeffrey made a good decision. Oh, okay. But he could have chose oh, anything. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Jeffrey, yeah, why letting, don't a you your brother? Cho- letting a six-year-old. Letting a six-year-old. Megatron. <laughs> Skittles. <laughs> Skittles. <laughs> Or frisky. <laughs> uh, apparently, this uh, pregnancy was rough as well for the mother. Um, and then in 1968, the family moved to Bath, Ohio. So they stayed in Ohio. They moved to another town. Um, right. Here, this is one of those weird moments um, that his father re- would recall later on, going back to Jeff's childhood. And I think his father was overthinking every little thing that happened. But he recalls later on. Yeah, not not now. After knowing yeah. what eventually happened, yeah. Right. His father recalls a time where when they moved to their new house, house in uh, Bath, Ohio, right. pulling some like dead animal bones out from underneath the house's crawl space. Yeah, and, and uh, Jeff just he, was he, obsessed with like the sound that the bones yeah, made. Yeah, that's so like, weird. The sound, like that's that's one of like every article I read, they were like he was obsessed with the sound. Like they do have kind the of a sound. They have kind of a hollow clinking. I, I get it. Yeah, I guess so. But I feel like you'd be more obsessed with like what it looks like. Right, be more obsessed, like, oh shit, that's the inside of something that that was alive. Like, I feel like that would have been the first, yeah. the first um, response. But the sound is just maybe kinda, he killed all those dudes because he wanted like a, a bone drum set. And he was putting it together, yeah, like a little xylophone. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's, I think we got to the bottom of this. Uh, yep, that's that's the end of the show. All right. Um, so he witnesses his father pulling the bones out of the house, and now, like later on, once Jeff was in prison, his father starts recalling all these little things, and like it seems so sinister now. Yeah, the fact that he was so obsessed with these bones when it seemed real innocent to him. He, he his dad really looked for anything to Jeff to be interested in because Jeff was just so disinterested in general. Yeah, that, like when he found something that Jeff liked, he would try to like. You know, well, not only that. I mean, this is this is uh, he's interested in biology and yeah. chemistry because he so, would he would clean these bones and mm-hmm. he was, and you know, obviously the chemicals used to clean these bones and bleach them or whatever. Like his dad used these chemicals right. daily, so he was like, "Hey, my son's taking interest in the things right. that I like to do." So what you're talking about was the moment when Jeff came up to his dad and they were they were eating. I believe they were eating a chicken dinner. And yeah. Jeff asked if you know what would happen if they bleached the bones or how how to preserve the bones or right, whatever. Right. And so his dad, you know, said, "Hey, my son's actually showing interest in something." Exactly. And so after dinner, they took the bones out, and his father showed him how to bleach and preserve these bones. Right. <clears throat> and that's a normal reaction for, for parents. I mean, you you obviously you want to see the best in your kid, no matter what happens. Right. No matter what happens, we talked about this before. Right. Like you know, like. When you when you ha- when you have other people's kids around mm-hmm. and they're doing something, you're like, man, that kid is a little shit. Right, like, that kid's a little brat. But like, your kid can be doing the exact same thing, and then the next day he's like, I love you, dad. And like, man, you are the greatest fucking kid I have ever met in my right. entire life. Bring me one of them bicep I the, chops. Let's I have the t- best kid. <laughs> Bring me that dead bird. Let's let's just go ahead and chop it up here with, <laughs> <Right>. together. <laughs> what is that? A dog head on a stick? What? That's so oh, cute. Bring that here, kid. <laughs> uh, yeah. So. Uh, during the 1970s, Jeffrey's mother was hospitalized twice for psychiatric problems. Um, anxiety is one of the ones that I right, read right. that she just, I don't know, she just couldn't deal with day-to-day life, I, I guess, during this time. Now, I'm not sure if she's still working. I think, she, I want to say she's a stay-at-home mom after these moves went down. Right. 
you know, so I think which she's is strange. Just, I think boredom seemed, was a lot of it. It seemed, yeah, maybe. It seems like they had their shit together as far as like um, a normal middle class family yeah. at this point. But the but problem was know. she was stuck at home. She didn't have Netflix, right? You know, and, yeah. She probably was stuck watching the same three fucking channels. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah just, just thinking. I'd get anxiety too if I'm stuck at home and I got no channels. I got no channels. You got two little kids running around with animal bones, right? <laughs> Mommy, bleach these for me. <laughs> what? <laughs> get out of here, kid. <laughs> um. Okay, so according to Lionel, she had been taking drugs to deal with her extreme nervousness for years, but they didn't work well. Um, during this time, Jeff's in his early teens. He starts finding animal carcasses in the woods and bringing them home to experiment on them. So this is the yeah. probably didn't help, but he's trying to bond with his mom over animal carcasses, and <laughs> his dad's off at work. Hey, it worked for Norman Bates, right? Hey, nobody's closer to their mom than Norman Bates. Look at <laughs> Bates, Bates Motel. Is that what you're talking about? Yes, obviously. I don't watch that show. Oh, I've heard it's good. Wow. Yeah, it's definitely good. Yeah. Dahmer would uh, dismember the animals and store the parts in jars in the family's wooden tool shed. But see, but like, even this wasn't one of the uh, McDonald triads. It wasn't, uh, you know, which are bedwetting, killing of animals, and arson. Yeah. So this isn't technically killing of animals because he didn't, he he loved his pets. He didn't hurt his pets or anything like that. Like he was just obsessed with. He was experimenting with with roadkill mainly at this time and like animals that died. Yeah, he was kind of fascinated with with just dead living. Now there's people that say that he claimed that he killed his neighbor's dogs, but there's no evidence to actually prove this. People said a lot of shit later on. It doesn't really line up. No. um, With, with what, with the rest of the story at this point. Right. Like maybe later on, but I even agree. later on, I don't think that would be something. Someone said that he had his neighbor's mm. dog's head on a stick, like the skull, and I was like, nah. I heard that, but I didn't hear it was a neighbor's dog, and it could have just been a roadkill dog. Right. It doesn't have to be a neighbor's dog, Jesus. Yeah. He was always explaining that he was curious as to how the animals fitted together, which I get. I've been hunting, and it's it's amazing to me when you, uh, when you quarter up an animal and you cut them up that it's like... It's almost like a machine. Like everything has its place, and it is right. it is interesting. It's. I don't think this is all that strange for a kid right now. Yeah, you justify it how you need to, Lauren. I mean, it's it's fine. You know, don't just don't check my it's closet. Fine. <laughs> At fourteen or fifteen years old, he realized that he was homosexual and having thoughts of violence intermingled with sex. And this was part of an interview that he did later on while in prison. He. Mm-hmm. He he really broke down how this. I think the problem was he was so obsessed with dissecting animals and stuff right when he was hitting puberty and his sexual tendency started to come through. Right. And you mix that with the fact that he was gay and this is the 70s. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was almost more accepted to be obsessed with dead animals than it was to be gay. Right. Yeah. So it was like this weird... So everything that he knew and went like by nature seemed wrong. Right. You know? And then they just intermingled together, I think, and created this... What did that say about society? Perfect storm. It's like you think if, if, if he would have grown up like now, where I'm not saying it's easy for gay people now, but it's definitely easier, easier. than it was in the 70s. Yeah. And now there's like a lot more, you know, it, it's, it's a little more accepted, especially in certain areas. So. Right. More, probably more accepted than playing with dead animals. Uh, yeah, probably. Yeah, I'd say so. By quite a bit. Uh, around this time, he begins high school at Revere High School in Bath, Ohio. In ninth grade, his class dissected pigs, and he took the skeleton of the pig home and this is where I think the whole skull on a stick thing came from. I, I you think so. I think it, it was a pig. Could have been a pig head. But those those pigs that you dissect in school are so tiny, though. They're basically like a pig fetus that's not quite fully developed. Really? Yeah. See, we did an owl pellet. I don't think I ever did a actual like 
carcass yeah. of an animal or anything like that. Yeah, we did. We might have done a freaking mouse though. The, Some little rodent. We might have done a rodent. Done a mouse. We might have done a rodent. Sure, it wasn't a frog. Could have been. Frogs are the. We definitely dissected an owl pellet, which is harmless. Well, we did pigs, and they were like, I don't know, what? 10 inches, 12 inches? Yeah, maybe. Okay. Just, just so he might have had a little tiny pig head on a stick. Vacuum sealed in bags. He might have had a little tiny pig head on a stick. So I, don't I, don't know how the, I want to know how the hell he got it home. <laughs> His backpack. He's like, Jeffrey, where's your pig? Oh, I already uh, threw it away. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, it's not in the trash. Yeah, I, I, I threw it away. Is that the bell? Yeah, right. <laughs> the teacher's just like, I don't even want to know. I don't even want to know. This kid scares me. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> he was jerking off over the pig earlier in class. I don't want to know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you don't uh, know how to approach him. Now, people think, uh, I think just initially when you start studying scam- uh, Dahmer, you figure that he was like a complete um, standalone in school. Like he was, he didn't talk to anyone. He was off on his own. No, not the case. Not, not necessarily the case. He was known around school. He was known, well known for just being a prankster. Kind of yeah. like me, like clapping randomly, like oh, running through halls and like making noise and shit. <laughs> I think what we're discovering is that this, I, I'm Jeffrey Dahmer. <laughs> Jeffrey Dahmer. We're discovering we're a lot this podcast, Lauren. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Um, he was actually really respectful to teachers, um, somewhat of an average student, except for classes that piqued his interest, you know, right. such as biology, chemistry. Right. Yeah, things that... Anatomy, I'm sure. Anatomy, yeah. He'd be a big <laughs> fan of that. Um, at 16 years old, he devised a plan to knock out a jogger with a bat and spend time with the unconscious body. Yeah, this is like a jogger that was going by his house every single day. Right. I guess he would just stare out the window at him. So this is where... Shirtless. That's the sweaty. That's a big jump. That's a big jump, man. That's, <laughs> that's a, yeah. That's a big now we jump. talked about how when he was fourteen or fifteen, you know, he started realizing that he was gay, and then he yeah. started having these thoughts, uh, intermingled sex with violence, mm-hmm. and this is him taking that leap to tr- maybe make it a reality. Some, but I think he was still not quite ready, and he chickened out. Now there's there's a lot of sources that say that the jogger didn't run by that day, yeah, and so he just gave up the idea, and it's like. I think he just chickened out. You think so? I don't think he was ready. You don't yet. think he ran by? No. Yeah, that would be because why wouldn't he just go back the next day? You know, like if this jogger kept going by every day, yeah, and then the day he chooses the guy didn't run by, and then yeah. just come out the next day and wait. Well, it's probably like when he got it to him, he's like, "Holy fuck, this jogger is a fucking man. Like he's he's in much better shape than me. Right. And he jogs every day. <laughs> yeah, for real. <laughs> it's like it probably whooped my fourteen year old ass. Yeah, or sixteen. Yeah, at the time. So either way, it doesn't happen. Um, and now he's beginning to drink real heavily while in high school. Uh, he's this actually up. started at like 14. Yeah. Well, yeah, he was carrying a flask in his army jacket at like 14, right? Right. But he's he's trying to He was a badass bury these I think he's trying to bury because we talked about how he had all these feelings and right. he was he knew that he wouldn't be accepted if he was like open about things his interests. Yeah. You know, gay but sex mixed with violence, was, yeah. dissecting animals. Yeah, when asked about his alcoholism, I mean, he would say even at that age, be like, you know, it's my medicine. Yeah, I, I can't, I can't be without it. Right. He was already self medicating at fourteen years old. I mean, he knew he was suppressing some serious shit. I mean, yeah. So he's always drunk at school. Other kids know, um, and they go when he's in high school. They go on a trip. His class goes on a field trip to Washington D.C. Right. It's pretty badass. Dude. I never went on a field trip like that. We'd go to like the Hoover Dam or something. Um, well, I did, but I was on the East Coast, so it was kind of close. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't that, that big of a trip, so. Right. Well, on this trip, it's, you have to go off of what you have, different sources and stuff, but there's different, rep- conflicting reports on what happened on this trip. Right, right. Supposedly, he called up 
the vice president while on the trip. Yeah. Like he told the kids, That's like, I'm going gonna, gonna to get us to meet the vice president. And he yeah. calls up. I don't know how you call the vice president, like, on a phone. Right. Uh, anyways, he gets supposedly gets the vice president to come down and meet with the class. Ah, bullshit. And then there's another, <laughs> there's other sources that say that he just prank called the vice president. That's what I heard. Shit. Yeah. Um, but it would just kind of like, it was the, his former students that, that came out with this story years later. Yeah. I think a lot of them were just trying to get their name in the fucking probably line, they just know? want to be like oh, oh what can i make up the diff that there's Jeffrey one did? there's one dude that like claimed to be a friend of Dahmer's when he was younger and like wrote came out and wrote a book i didn't read that book i um, didn't know i'd say that i think it's called my friend Dahmer. oh yeah typical and it just seemed to me like nah, he I'm was sure, trying I'm, it to, may be a good book i don't know we didn't it, read it, it might be check it out it might be like Dahmer. but i don't know it didn't seem like he had any that close of friends that you could write a full book on like no, i he, knew the guy so well type I, of thing. I feel like Dahmer was that kid that that certain people thought he was cool just because of the shit that he did. But if he didn't do all this crazy acting out shit, he wouldn't have any friends. Right. He wouldn't have any. If he didn't drink in school and also heard that he like drew chalk outlines of bodies like mm-hmm. in the halls and stuff. He was like, a bad boy. Yeah. If he didn't do this shit, I don't think he would have any friends. Right. People just, people love to watch him and laugh at him more than. But they weren't hanging out with him necessarily. Yeah. When school's over, he's going home lonely in his army jacket with his flask, I think. I mean, not lonely. He's got his dog. dog. He's got his dog's head on a stick. I mean, he's got that you can talk to. Right. But (laughs) (laughs) he preferred immobile life anyways, right? Right. Do you want to talk about the sources we used for this real quick? Since we always end up doing this in the middle of it. No. (laughs) We read the book by... uh, Jack Jack Rosewood. Jack Rosewood. One he's of our one favorite of our, authors. Yeah, I, I like him, man. He's, he doesn't he doesn't skimp out on the gritty details, but he also seems to have most things factually correct. Yeah, we've read some. We I think uh, was it uh, William Bonin. We read his book on William Bonin and yep. enjoyed that. Uh, several um, several of the episodes we've was done. Night Stalker was that also a no? That was Philip Carlo. Philip Carlo, great fucking book. Yeah, that is amazing book. Yeah, so um, we we read uh, Jack Rosewood's book on Jeffrey Dahmer. But it's uh, Jeffrey Dahmer, A Terrifying True Story of Rape, Murder, and Cannibalism. It's right. the book by Jack Rosewood. We watched several documentaries on YouTube and Netflix. Yeah, and I watched The Dahmer Files. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was That okay. one wasn't all that great. It was, it was okay. There was a biography was... documentary on him that yeah. was really good. I enjoyed that one. Good. I'm glad. Biography usually does good work. Yeah. Um, as well as uh, years back. See, I didn't watch that this week. But years back, I watched the Jeremy Renner movie Dahmer. Yeah. Good movie. I, I from what I can remember, out. it's been a while since I watched it, but I remember being, you know, yeah. That's kind of when I started really getting into Dumber was when I watched that years back. You know, yeah, I, like, I had I had it's somebody some creepies. Actually, it shows it like shows him working day to day in the chocolate factory, and then the shit that he was doing <laughs> back at his apartment is just like, stirring chocolate. The uh, the the <clears throat> Dahmer Files does that. Really? It's kind of odd. Like it shows. Okay, so here's where it picks up. It picks up with like him getting arrested, like in real life, like it's real footage, mm-hmm. and then you got like the detective, you got one neighbor, and then you have the me the medical examiner at the time, mm-hmm. doing interviews. Okay, now that's all real stuff. And then there's mixed in footage, real. But then on side notes, in between, it's just reenactments of Dahmer living his normal life. So it's really hard to follow. Was that the one that so, at the beginning it had him walking through a fish store? Yes. Yeah, see, I turned it off. I was yeah. like, this is stupid. I can't. Yeah, he's like, looking at, he's like looking at piranhas. That guy didn't seem then, to capture Dahmer's essence to me. No, he I, was, I, Right away I was like, this isn't Dahmer. Like, this guy's way too goofy he, to be Dahmer. Yeah, he wasn't. Uh, charismatic enough. No, he wasn't believable enough. But it, yeah, it was just it was hard to follow because it kept going back to like Dahmer like buying fish, and then it would be like he's being arrested carrying out of his apartment in real life, and then it's like Dahmer in the chocolate factory, right. and then it's like Dahmer being uh, you know interviewed. Yeah, it, it's just 
it was it was hard to follow. Yeah. You just had to separate the two in your mind and be like, here's a glimpse at what this guy was. Here's what actually happened. The guy that they chose. Here's a to glimpse act, of what we think maybe happened. The, here's what actually happened. The guy that they chose to portray him look. I just he to me I was not buying it right away, and I'm like I'm not watching this if this guy's like, this is their portrayal <laughs> of Dahmer. Then I'm yeah. not watching this. Is it's not how I picture him in my mind. Jeremy Renner did a much better job. They I made think. him. They made him seem way too weird. Like way too way too weird. And right. I think in public, no one. People say it all the time, but they would have never guessed. No way. Right. Not the guy in apartment two thirty. Because he was always drunk and just like you know chill, just yeah. like. Just a normal dude. Like, I think right. he was able to keep it together because he was always drunk and just, like, he would just make light of everything, I yeah. think. That's just how I picture it. Yeah. And he was able to talk his way out of a lot of shit, you know, naturally, as serial killers, like, successful serial killers right. do. They talk their way out of shit. He was a very functional alcoholic, for sure. Oh, yeah. He'd been well-practiced. He could almost turn his drunkenness on and off. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, when he grew up uh, as a teenager in the 70s in middle America, you know, up in Milwaukee and, and uh, Ohio and stuff. He Back then, I think the legal drinking age was 18, right? It was. It was but it was. they were real lax, like, the you know, most... Uh, Rarely enforced. Yeah, yeah, most corner stores and grocery stores would sell to teenagers and not ID them. Um, cops, if they caught you, they would just take it, your alcohol stash and bring you home. And or, then finish it. <laughs> right. So uh, it wasn't that uncommon for kids to be drinking yeah. while going to school and stuff like that back right, then. Right, right. But he was doing it every day, all day, or a day. You know? All the days. All the days. And in June 4th, 1978, uh, Jeff graduated from high school. During this time, his parents were going through an extremely bitter divorce. They were fighting over custody of right. his younger brother. They couldn't fight for Jeff because he was already 18, and custody yeah. of him was for himself at that point. And they were probably like, Jeff, who do you want to go with? He was like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Right, who's got... Whatever, who's got the most booze? Who's got the house next to the woods so I can <laughs> yeah. find Well, he bodies. stayed there. He stayed in the family home. Yeah, and so that's an interesting thing is he, when he graduated high school and around 18, he had yeah. his parents' house to himself. It was right. a weird thing that happened where his mom took his younger brother, David, and moved to Wisconsin. Yeah. And his father, thinking that his wife was still living in the house, left and went to start living in a motel. Right. And they didn't really communicate so they neither of them knew that jeff's got the house to himself free reign i think they just left jeff there because they wanted to take claim to the house they're like we don't want to lose the house just in case things work out or maybe we want to sell it and split the profits later you think the dad needs somebody to kind of to, to me out. it makes perfect sense that the dad would go live in a motel if he thought his wife was still living there just to get out of her hair or whatever but like i can't picture them why would he why would his dad stay in a motel if if jeff's like if the house is empty and just Jeff is know, there. Okay, maybe he doesn't want to be in the house. Maybe it's a reminder of failed marriage. Yeah, perhaps. You know, you, plus, you another it's another case where one one source you read or hear uh, yeah. it, it says one thing and the other. But I just I just find it hard to believe that his dad just left one day and never went back to the house and was like, "Oh, well she's there, so I'm never going back." I mean, I just find it hard to believe. Maybe he left and was like, "Oh, I forgot." I forgot one of my beakers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I got to go back and complete this chemistry Naturally, set. <laughs> chemist, that's all he's, he's always worried about is beakers. Right. And then he would walk in and see Jeffrey and be like, oh, Jeffrey, you're still here. Where's is your that mom? bones in my beaker? Is that, <laughs> are you cleaning bones in my beaker? <laughs> Don't you know you got to use a round beaker? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so not long, naturally, after uh, his he's got the house to himself, it's just, it's just going to happen now. He's got the means for this to happen. His whole jogger fantasy is going to come true. Right. And he's fighting the urges. But um, on June 18th, 1978, he's driving to a liquor store to get a refill of uh, whatever liquor of choice he was into at that All time. All of them. All of them. The cheap one. Cheap yeah. shit. Whatever. According yeah. to the documentary. Yeah. So he makes a quick trip to the uh, liquor store. And on the way back, he sees 
19-year-old Stephen Mark Hicks hitchhiking right. or jogging. Is, um, or no, he was hitchhiking. He was going to a rock concert. He was concert. hitchhiking to a rock concert. Yeah. But this is also something that Jeffrey said that he had been dreaming about or almost uh, imagining, mm-hmm. like this whole scenario. A shirtless, young, strapping lad. Oh, yeah. Roadside. Well, I don't know about shirtless and strapping, but... <laughs> never going to catch me. Slow motion, Baywatch running. Yeah. No, he... <laughs> But uh, he imagined like a hitchhiker out in the middle of nowhere on a back road or something, yep. and him driving by and then, you know, mm-hmm. picking him up. Yeah. And then it happened, and then he was like, "Oh shit!" Now I picture him. He, he picks him up, and Stephen Hicks. His family claims he was not gay. He would. He wouldn't have gone back to the house for an offer of money or anything like that. It was, right. and he had somewhere he was going. But the basically what happened was Jeff offered him a few beers and a ride, yeah. and he's like, "I'll take you where you need to go." But let's go back to my house and get have a few beers first for right. the road. You know, a few road beers, and once yeah, a few road beers, <laughs> uh, once back at the house, they hung out, they drank some beers, and and uh, it was time. Hicks said he wanted to go. He's got that concert to go to, and this is where the panic set in for Dahmer. That separation. He almost had. I feel like he had like separation anxiety. You ever a dog that has like my black lab has that severe separation anxiety when you right. leave it freaks out when you come home it's freaking out like i feel like that he had that fear of being when he found someone that he enjoyed the company of that he was attracted to yeah that i think that was his number one motivation like yeah. if if he had found a young good looking dude that waited on him hand and foot like was always around like a needy little dude that he really liked or maybe he wouldn't have liked that type i don't know but yeah as long as he didn't move when he really was attracted breathe. to a, another Dude, and, yeah. and and into him, like he just wanted to be. That's all he wanted, just to be in their company. Yeah, and never for them to never want to leave him, and them never move would be great too. Yeah, if they were like, you know, like paraplegic and yeah, or Maybe quadriplegic need- even, that'd be better. Just yeah. don't move, right? Just just don't move and don't talk. Just don't leave. Yeah, <laughs> just be you. Just, just lay be there. You. Just exist. Right, and so when Hicks tried to walk out, uh, there a struggle ensued. Now, in the movie Dahmer with Jeremy Renner, it was like a wrestling match. And yeah. then um, Mark Hicks and, or Stephen Hicks in the movie was like a wrestler and he got the upper hand and started to head out the door. And that's pretty similar to what actually happened. Yeah. Dahmer picks up a, was like a barbell or something like that, yeah. a dumbbell, yeah. and strikes him in the back of the head. Yeah, killing him. You hit him hard enough that it killed him. Yeah. Like, he was bleeding out. I don't D- know if it was in the hallway or where it was. Yeah, because Dahmer was pretty fit at this time. Yeah, I mean, he had well, no, he was working set. out. He was working out. He was he was a beast. Yeah, so I picture him getting up, swigging his. He's got the the like liquor of his choice by his bedside. Wakes up, swigs that, gets up. It's like doing arm curls. Yeah. in the mirror, and then he's going out looking for a young Stephen Hicks type. Uh, right, right. Yeah. Um. So now he had all the time in the world to the have the body to himself because he's in his house. This is really the perfect crime right now because no what? one knew. Yep. I mean, this is this is the uh, '70s. This is '78. No cell phones. No one knew where this dude was going. He right. was he was hiking on his on his own to a rock concert. No yep. one saw Dahmer pick him up, and he had the house to himself. His parents, as far as he knew, weren't coming home anytime soon, and so he had all the time to spend time with the body, which is, was his number one favorite thing to do when he right. killed someone. It wasn't about the killing. It was about having that person that you yeah having that perfectly submissive. Yes. Yeah, person. Someone that can't leave. Right. Cannot leave. So he spent time with uh, Stephen Hicks's body and masturbated over it. And over the next couple of weeks, he methodically stripped the flesh. Now, he, he didn't cross that line of actually having sex with the corpse as far as what he 
later said he said that at this point he hadn't gone that far yet right he hadn't crossed that barrier it was soon to happen not mm-hmm. too far after that but at this point he just masturbated over the body and then he methodically stripped the flesh off the bones and crushed up the bones and scattered them about um, buried him in the woods, I believe, behind well, his parents' house. I think at this time he just buried the skeleton whole. And then not long, his father kind of gave him an ultimatum of get a job or join the army. Yeah, so after this, his father comes back to the house, realizes right. that Dahmer had been living alone, yeah. moves back in and starts urging uh, Jeff to get a job, yeah. which doesn't work out. He notices his drinking is getting out of hand and pushes him to... Join the army. No, he actually pushes him into college first. Remember, he goes, he pushes him to go to, he actually pays for his tuition to oh, go yeah, to Ohio. Ohio State. Yeah, he, he pushes him to go to college. Yeah. And his dad, since Dahmer didn't really, well, not Dahmer, but Jeff, didn't have any, he didn't have that great of grades. You know, he was, he was not going to get any scholarships right. or anything. So his dad paid for his tuition to go to Ohio State, which lasted all of one semester. Must be doing well as a chemist. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, luckily for him, financially, it only he, Dahmer Jeff spent all of his time drinking in college and yeah, but I, I slacking think he, off. Uh, I think he prepaid like a year though, right? That's <laughs> usually dropped how out it goes. This semester. Never do that. <laughs> Never do that. Never do that. See how serious your kid is first. Maybe right. your kid's not as smart as you think. <laughs> right. And so Jeff drops out of school at Ohio State, and uh, that was after his dad paid a surprise, a surprise visit to him in college in his dorm and found his room strewn about with empty liquor bottles. <laughs> And, you know. Okay, like, is that different than everybody else's college dorm? I mean, I don't get it. I guess not, but some of them actually do their schoolwork, which apparently seemed to be a problem Oh, is that why they go? Jeff didn't care. He wasn't doing his schoolwork. He was probably uh, too busy. Well, you know, we forgot to mention that in high school, he he actually participated in some sports. Like, he played tennis. And uh, what was the other thing he did? He He was in a band. Yeah, he's in the high school band and stuff. I just thought, I'd and he that. also um, he jumped in the honor society picture. <laughs> he oh, wasn't yeah. in the club, but As he a jumped, clown. Yeah, he jumped in the picture and was actually photographed in the right. honor society. Kind so shortly after he dropped out of college at, at uh, Ohio State, he moved back with his dad, and his dad had remarried at that point, and his new wife, um, Lionel's new wife, wasn't really putting up too much with Jeff's drinking, excessive drinking. They accepted Jeff living there, but they wanted him to get a job and be productive. Right. And uh, eventually, you know, noticing that that wasn't going to happen, his father pushed him hard to join the military. Right. And so on December 20th, you notice a a trend here. Jeff at least listens to his dad, and, like, his dad is able to kind of get Jeff to do what he wants, it seems like, always. Well, he's so just apathetic about everything. He's just like... All right. He he never fought anything. Yeah. Right. He was just so drunk all the time. It was just... Hey, Jeff, why don't you go to college? Oh, yeah, that sounds cool. <laughs> it's like, Jeff, why don't you join the Army? Yeah, it's totally. You're making him sound like a pothead now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. I'll totally do it. <laughs> there, is that more like Milwaukee? Yeah. Yeah, I'll totally, I'll totally join it. All right, man, know. I'll do it. Fucking uh, uh, fuck it, whatever. <laughs> you know the hit of the fucking bottle. <laughs> yeah, so he joins the Army. He's sworn in on December 29th, 1978. And he seemed to be doing pretty well. I mean, he wasn't like a, a badass by any means. He would end up being uh, transferred from an MP to a medic right. and assigned to Baumholder, Germany. Now, after boot camp, he came back to visit his father and stuff, and he had bulked up. He seemed happy. Yeah. They seen him smiling for the first time in a while. Right. It seemed, things seemed to be on the right path. I think boot camp was good for him. But then once he got stationed in Germany, and I have a couple friends who went into the Army. One of them was stationed in South Korea. One of them was stationed in Germany. Okay. And once you get on your base... It just seems like it's it's, just it's more, more lax. They're not riding yeah. your ass as hard, and then your natural tendencies can be 
Like my buddy in uh, when he was stationed in South Korea, he was drinking like his ass. Well, off. they have everything on the bases. I mean, they they're have just stores, doing. They have bars. Yeah. I mean, everything. And they're is just there. doing their job like nine to five or whatever, yep. and then yep. they come back to come back to their barracks and they're just fucking drinking. And yeah. like, I think that's when it fell apart for Dahmer is when he wasn't under strict watch as much. Yeah, when he left boot camp. <laughs> yeah, and there was two soldiers that later claimed to have been raped by Dahmer while in the army. Um, one of them claimed mm-hmm. that it had gone on for a seventeen month period where Dahmer had repeatedly. I think this might have been like his bunk mate or something, and yeah. Dahmer would like freaking drug him, tie him up, and like Shit. forcibly rape him. But the dude I, said that he didn't want to say anything because it was an embarrassment to his family, and yeah, he didn't think that you? his especially he, being a soldier, yeah, and he didn't think that his uh, elder officers would believe him. And it was just back then, it was. I, I got a good feeling that would have been shoved under the rug. Yeah, you know, because this was still a don't ask, don't tell time, time. Yeah, yeah. Another soldier believed that he was drugged and raped by Dahmer inside of an armored vehicle in 1979. Um, he wouldn't last all that long in the Army. He would March 26, 1981, he would be honorably discharged from the Army before his enlistment was up because his drinking had reached the point where he simply couldn't function anymore. That's he, an honorable discharge? Yeah, it's just like... Like you said, don't ask, don't tell. Like we just, we're, just, we're not going to screw your life over for the rest. You know, we're not going to dishonorably discharge you because... Yeah. Had he, they been able to prove rape or something like that, I'm sure, but it was just he wasn't able to do his daily duties anymore because he was always f- hammered. Right. And didn't care. Okay. And so they basically gave him a one-way ticket to anywhere in the U.S. that he wanted to go. Yeah. And rather than going home, making that walk of shame, being embarrassed that he got booted from the military, uh, he chose to go to f- South Florida and not tell his parents that he was even... <laughs> like discharged from the army just sleeping on a beach right yeah so he took his one-way ticket to uh florida where he was spending half the time sleeping on the beach and living in hotels he was working for i forget what he had, he got some little job down there well he he wasn't doing he was he, he moved down there to south florida to like for a change of scenery you know not only to avoid his family but right. also because he'd grown up in the midwest and the, the winters were so hard and he wanted to just like a to live on the beach, and it went well for a while, but then he went back to his natural tendencies of just drinking and not wanting to do anything productive. And after a while, uh, he called his dad in the middle of the night and told him what had been going on and where he was, and his dad basically told him, just come home. And so he headed back to Ohio, um, and once there, his father couldn't deal with him and sent him to live with his grandmother. Um, Now, this is after he was arrested for disorderly conduct and resisting arrest, uh, yeah. back at home and so his father he's probably trying to have this new life with his new wife and and jeff's just always in the way and it's like yeah, and he thought that yeah the, the problems that would cause yeah right and i think he thought that uh having him go live with his grandmother would be good for him he could have like a, a meaning more meaning to his life like he'd have like a goal every day to take care of his grandmother and have that companionship with her right he, and it seemed to work out well for a bit it seems like everything in jeff's life like it at first <laughs> it would work well but then he would right go back to his natural tendencies he'd get yeah. bored and go well, back to what he does searching. best which was drinking and, and he's still searching for what stimulates him what makes him feel powerful what makes him feel yeah and important it, and, and he, he later s- find it. and he yeah. later said i should have used my uh natural uh interest in like bones and, and like anatomy and stuff yeah to be a taxidermist or something yeah. like that right and it, you know it's it, he should have found a passion that worked for his interests yeah. there Again, were norman bates Right, <laughs> or he could have been. Uh, he could have worked for a morgue or something like that. Yeah, sure. I'm sure I mean, he'd be he great with dead bodies. He would have been. Yeah, I I'm mean, sure doing some things. You'd want him to take care of your loved ones. I'm sure. Hey, they're dead. They can't do anything. Wow. 
still right. like, once I'm dead, fuck me if you want. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> like, literally. It's like, whatever. You know, I'm dead. Right. I'm not <laughs> like, here anymore. I'm not using that shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so he's living with his grandmother. It's going well. He's actually going to church. He's obeying her rules. Um, but it was just a matter of time. He actually found a job in early 1982 uh, as a phlebotomist. Yeah, because of his military experience. As now, a this is one of those jobs. Yeah, he it helped him get in there because he was a yeah. medic in the Army. And uh, it was at the Milwaukee Blood Plasma Center. Um, oh, we forget to mention that when he moved in with his grandmother, his grandmother lives in Milwaukee where he was born. So he went from Ohio over to Milwaukee, and, and he's living in Wisconsin with his grandmother. Right. Um, so while there, he's working at the Milwaukee Blood Plasma Center. Uh and I just feel like that there was actually a moment also where he took a bag of the blood home and drank it. Oh, while he's working at the. Well, uh, you know, you'd be curious around that much blood. Yeah, you're curious. You know, as long as it matches your blood type, I think you're okay. Yeah, right. I think so. I think so. They say you can. Oh, is it Fight Club? You can drink up to a pint of blood before you get sick right. to your stomach. Yeah. Well, that was a fictional character, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, he would remain. Uh, at this job for about 10 months before being laid off, I guess the position was terminated. It wasn't even his doing. Um, where he would remain un- unemployed for two years, living on his grandmother's dime. Nice. Get, you know, using her money to buy liquor and right. be a piece of shit. On August 7th, 1982, he was at the Wisconsin Fair. And while at the fair, he <laughs> exposed himself to a crowd of 25 women and children. Wow. For this, I mean, what, what do you think the punishment should have been for that? That's... Um, he should at least had to spend a night or two in jail, I think. At least. Yeah. You don't think uh, a fine and $50, a $50 fine and, and uh, court fees <laughs> was good? No, no, but I but I believe it, though. I mean, for that time, and yeah, he didn't really hurt anybody. He wasn't even put on a sex offender list or anything. Yeah, that, that's kind of crazy. Guy got it. He had to drink a little too much, you know? Well, you know, you have that. Let's give him a break. He's a nice white guy. Yeah. <laughs> nice white fellow. Nice, nice white guy in Milwaukee. Yeah, he's not doing any harm. Uh, on January 1985, Dahmer was hired as a mixer at the Milwaukee Ambrosia Chocolate Factory. Finally found his calling. The Chocolate Factory. The Chocolate Factory. He worked a graveyard ship over, uh, shift overnights, <laughs> and he would work there for many years while committing future murders. For, from here on out, pretty and much. And it just seems... Uh, everyone kind of has the same mentality about this, that it just seemed like... It's so much creepier that he worked at a chocolate factory while he was killing people, you know? It is, like, it is. I mean, the only thing creepier was if he was like an ice cream man, you know? Right. <laughs> Why or, does Popsicle look so funny? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. It's got a head on it. It's got a <laughs> Wait, is that my dog? No, 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 no. Oh, man. Um now, while still living at his grandmother's home and working for the chocolate factory, there was a moment where he was at a local library, and he was propositioned by a man in the library. Like a, a guy passed a note to him and offered oral sex. Yeah, he must have got a gay vibe from from Jeff, right? Or or just took a chance. Yeah, and yeah, Jeff didn't hell? Jeff didn't take him up on the offer, but it did kind of seem to trigger something in his mind. Like it, he's like, wait a minute, people can do that. Like you can do that. I like, can go out and have gay sex. Like there's other gay dudes out there. Yeah. And so it, that seemed to open up this avenue where he started going to gay bars frequently, going to bathhouses. Right. Um, and this is where he would start drugging men at these gay bars in, Mil- in the Milwaukee area. Right. And he would actually even get barred from one of them after allegations that at least on four separate occasions, he took someone in a private booth and drugged them. And one of them almost died. Like one of right. them OD'd, yeah. spent time in the hospital. Yep. And at that point, he was barred from that particular... Yeah, he got quite a reputation around town for this. 
Yeah, at this time. No far, no files were charged, but I guess when they saw him approaching, they would kick him out of the out of the uh, particular bar. Right. Um, around this time, he read a report in a newspaper. I'm, I'm, I picture like him sitting with his grandmother at the coffee table in the morning and drinking coffee, and he's he's reading the obituaries, and he sees this picture of an 18 year old good looking dude yeah. that had recently died. <laughs> and at this point, he attempts to go out and dig up the corpse of the 18 year old. Right. And finds that it's not as easy as you think to dig up right. a corpse. Well, especially not probably in the fucking Milwaukee. Milwaukee, the cold did it in like ground. January. And it's like yeah. ice ground. <laughs> ice ground. <laughs> Damn it! Yeah, and so he failed at that. That, that I feel like he could have gotten. He could have been Ed Gein and just like dug up bodies and had fun with them, and no one hmm. would have. No harm, no foul. You know, no one, no victim. Victimless crime. Yeah, he'd have been better off doing that in like Florida. He should have stuck there. Yeah, the ground's nice ground's and a moist lot more moist and, and mush. Swamplands. Yeah. Go find one of them swampy uh, graveyards. Right. It's actually kind of easy to dig in the desert. I don't know that by experience. No, it's not. Not in my house. It's like caliche here, bro. No, too many rocks. It's rocky. It's pretty easy to dig out in it's like Sandy Valley. Right. Do you know how many bodies I've tried to, bear, to dig up and it's right. just failed miserably? You should bring them out to my house. It's pretty easy to dig out there. Okay. Yeah. Hang out there. We'll get rid of I'll them. go hit your graveyard someday. Yeah. All right. September 8th, 1986, Jeffrey was arrested when he deliberately exposed himself... While supposedly urinating in front of children, um, no, nope. now this was like, was this some kind of this a is, I think Cub I heard, Scouts thing? Like they were out in the woods, and he, they were out in the woods, and he was out in the woods, and he was masturbating like by the river, right? Like where they were playing, and they saw him, and he got caught, and he claims like he gets busted for it. Uh, he, he gets sentenced to one year probation and counseling, but he claimed to his family that yeah, he tells his family, oh, it's just urinating. I was just peeing. They weren't. Yeah, it's just peeing. Sometimes you got to stroke it, get that flow going. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I really like to shake it a lot just to make sure. <laughs> just to make sure. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, that is dark. <laughs> so he's sentenced to one year's probation and counseling. Around the same time, while living with his grandmother, he steals a mannequin from a department store. And I, I feel like that was another, maybe if they just had more advanced sex dolls in this day, he would have been okay. Yeah, like the sex dolls now? He yeah. could he could order them up however the hell he wanted you know bare chest right black whatever yeah he and definitely just, liked uh, yeah he, he did not discriminate if 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 he found a dude attractive yeah that's it didn't matter what color they were that's I right. appreciate that about him um, he stole a mannequin from a department store his grandmother disclo- uh, d- discovered the, the mannequin and confronted so him on it what have you heard of how he got this mannequin. I just want to. I heard he broke out the window. He broke out the window, right? In the middle of the night and just stole it. Right. That's what I heard. I pictured him just running (laughs) (laughs) under a blanket, like alarms going off. (laughs) Just running, taking a swig of his flask. (laughs) I need some nourishment. Dude, on the documentary, it's so freaking hilarious, right? (laughs) So it cuts to the scene out of nowhere, and it's this girl. She's working in a department store. Uh huh. And she's just like, you know, she's she's cutting the lights off. She's she's locking everything up. She's finishing up the cash register, cashing out, you know. She walks over to the door. And locks it, and you think, and I'm thinking at this point, I'm like, oh, okay, I know what this scene is. He's gonna break the window, and he's gonna yeah. go get. No, he's like hiding in the fitting room. Oh, he like Jesus. creeps out the side with his creepy glasses. Oh, he's like no. pushing him up on his nose. He's like, I might watch mm. this one for comedic <laughs> value. <laughs> it sounds hilarious. And he runs over there, strips a mannequin down, and throws a blanket over it, and carries it out. <laughs> just oh, walks God. out the front door. Just unlocks it. Walks out the front door. Right. Yeah. And then calls a cab. <laughs> wow. No. <laughs> yes, he calls a cab and. Like, are you fucking kidding me? The cab, he's like, hey, you need help with that? He's like, nah, I, I, I think I got it. I got him. I think I got it. Don't worry about it. And he's, he's like, like oh, hand sticking out and putting shit. Putting it in the trunk. <laughs> what the fuck? 
<laughs> yeah, I was like, this is crazy. Yeah. You need well, to check that out. Yeah. For nothing other than comedic value. I, I don't know. Who knows? Maybe he hid in there. I blame his grandmother for the future bodies that, you know. Yeah, if she would have just left him the hell alone with Let that Let him mannequin. have his mannequin, you know. She was creeped out by it, supposedly. I'm like, well, they don't go up there. Shit. Right. Like, you ain't done some creepy shit in your life, old lady. Right. I mean, you could have, like, bought him clothes for his mannequin and, like, yeah. wigs and stuff. And, like, you know, kept his little creepy, weird thing going. And yeah. And there would have been lives saved. Instead, she scolded him for having this mannequin, and he got rid of the mannequin. Because, here we go, again, apathetic Jeffrey Dahmer. He's like, eh, whatever. I'm just trying to keep the peace. Right. Like, that's just, this is how he was, like, for a while. Yeah, and so had she let him have his mannequin, maybe... What happens next wouldn't have happened. On well, sub- how long would it have lasted? Though? I know. I'm, I'm just. Let's I'm be honestly. Honest. I'm, be, I'm being sarcastic <laughs> and, and satire. I'm just. He definitely would have still killed people. Yeah. But, that fucking but, mannequin. But hey, if it saved anything. one or two, though, yeah, that's true. It's worth it. If it kept Hell, him, if it saved if it, one person, it'd be worth if it. If it kept him indoors one night and not out on the streets, drugging yeah. dudes at gay bars and like. Yeah. You know, yep. if it kept him indoors on September fifteenth, nineteen eighty seven, when he picked up twenty four year old Stephen Toomey and took him to the Ambassador Hotel in West Dallas, maybe it would have saved Stephen Toomey from what happened. Maybe. So Which he, we don't even know what happened then, technically, Stephen Toomey, but carry on. Well, according to Jeff, what happened was he picked this dude up and he took him to the Ambassador Hotel. And this is in downtown Milwaukee, I suppose. Right. It's a nice hotel. Yeah, it's well known in the area. Yeah, and, and he was his plan was to drug him and spend time with him, and I guess rape him while he was asleep or whatever he was going to do. Right. Um, but when he woke up in the morning, he had I think overdone it himself, drank too much, mm-hmm. maybe drugged himself a little bit. I don't know what he did. Uh, but when he woke up, he found Stephen Toomey dead in bed, and like his neck and like chest were crushed, like he had just rampaged on him. Jesus. Yeah, like blood coming out of his mouth and almost right. like he woke up in the middle of the night in a drunken stupor and just like went crazy. Beat him to on. death? How strong do you have to be to fucking crush someone's To crush chest? a neck? got to be a strong dude. They say it's for, to crush a neck, it only takes like nine pounds of pressure. It doesn't take that much. Why, what, they said it like his chest was, though, yeah, was crushed. Maybe he beat on it. I don't know what he did, but Damn. pretty dark. Now he's got himself an issue, though, here. He's in a hotel room and he just killed a dude. Yeah. And so how is he going to get this body out? He can't put a blanket over it like the mannequin. Right. And, and he didn't it carry like, in. Hey, checking out. It's yeah. fine. <laughs> and he didn't have any luggage right. when he checked in. So, hey, this is hey. pretty savvy on him, though. So he, he goes it? down. He checks out. He leaves the uh, do not disturb thing on his door. And he right. goes out and he buys the biggest. Please don't suit. clean up my dead body. Right. Do not disturb the body in the bed. He's sleeping heavily. Right. Uh, he goes out and he finds the biggest suitcase he can he can buy. Brings it back to the room, stuffs Stephen Tooby's body into the the, uh, God. the uh, luggage, and yeah. checks out. Yeah. Takes the gets a cab and takes this uh, body back to his grandmother's house. Now I've heard on some accounts that the that the cab driver actually asked him if he needed help at this at this instance too, and he obliged. He was like, "Yeah, sure, if you want to help me." Put it in there. That's and he was a like, heavy ass bag. He was like, "What you got in there? A dead body?" And he was like, "Yeah." Oh god, no way. Nah, I know that's probably bullshit. I'm but sure it is. I heard that on one account. Uh, also, they acted this scene out in the documentary. <laughs> Did they? It's kind of funny because, like, you can kind of see in the uh, the hotel clerk's face mm-hmm. where he's like, when he checks out with the bag, and then the other guy's not there. He's just kind of like, hmm, okay. I guess so. You didn't have a big bag when you checked in. And you, you had, had a friend with you. And you, you had a person. <laughs> now you have a big bag and no person. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Oh, well. Thanks for... Don't thanks. ask, don't tell. <laughs> thanks for your service, Mr. Donner. Right. Donner. So he gets the body back to his grandmother's house and proceeded to dispose of it as much as he could uh, a week later. 
So he spent quite a bit of time with Stephen Hicks, which is just so creepy, knowing that he's living in his grandmother's house. Yeah. And, and he's like doing who knows what to this body. And he wasn't going to get rid of this body without a keepsake. So he bleached yeah. the head. He crushed the bones up and he pulled a uh, uh, Bob Berdella, crushed up the bones and put it out for the trash. Although he kept the uh, head, right. which he would boil and bleach and I believe he still had that head years later when he was busted. Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Now, nine years pass between the first and second murder. So, you know, we talked about the uh, the hitchhiker that he killed early on. It would have been nine years since he first killed it before he killed Stephen Toomey. Yeah. Shortly after this, back at uh, his grandmother's house, his dad is getting curious about this box that he's got in his room. And yeah. I think maybe his grandmother was curious too. And his father was worried about what his grandmother might discover if she got into this box. <laughs> he was worried that it would be pornography. Right. Oh, no. Turns God, out no. much worse. No, Turns not pornography. Right. <laughs> uh, Jeff's going, uh, you know, his dad comes up there and he's like, "What? you need to open that box for me. I want to see what's in there, you know. And, and Jeff has the fucking head of Stephen Toomey, Toomey yeah. in this box. <laughs> And so his dad's thinking there's porn in there, and Jeff's going, I'm not opening that box. Oh, he pulled old Copperfield and swapped it. <laughs> yeah, so so he, he refuses to open for him, and what he does when his dad leaves, he takes the head out, puts some porn in there, and the next day he's like, all right, all right, you can all see right in the box. here, looking here. I'll come clean. Yeah. Here we go. Here's the porn. Here's it's the some porn. nice, like, it's like Playboy. It's like some wholesome porn. Right. Wholesome. <laughs> he had a fucking dude's head in there the day before. <laughs> Uh, so his dad, you know, scolds him, gets rid of the porn, and bullet dodged. You know, there's always those bullet dodging moments in oh, serial killers. Yeah, we've Dahmer has quite a few though, which yeah. we'll get to. Oh man, the biggest one I've ever heard of. Now Dahmer has opened the uh, the box. He's 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 killed again, and he's this is where he triggers. Like he's like into it now. He's like I've yeah. done it. He killed Stephen Toomey. It was kind of like that moment we. Uh, which one was it, um, Bobardello, where he accidentally killed? He killed the dude with a knife because he was making him breakfast. I feel like that's this. That's that his was moment. Gacy. Like, was that? Oh, that was Gacy. Yeah, Gacy did that. Yeah, Gacy killed the dude who was making him breakfast, and right. he woke up to the guy holding a knife, and he killed right. him. And then it seemed like that triggered. Yep. Like I enjoyed this. Yeah. Like I liked disposing of him. I liked killing him. Like it. And with Dahmer, it seemed like this so-called accidental killing where he woke up and he, he didn't realize what he had done right triggered something because shortly after that in 1988 he starts killing more frequently so you got on January of 1988 he kills 14 year old James Dox Doxtator um Dahmer offered him some money to pose nude for him. This is something he would frequently do right. moving forward. Yeah. He would offer he'd go to gay bars and he would offer money to dudes. Apparently there was a Shit ton of aspiring models in Milwaukee at this time, right? Or just dudes aspiring. desperate, like dudes in gay bars, desperate for some cash to for whatever you know. Yeah, maybe they didn't Maybe. think it would go anywhere, but they just wanted some quick cash for yeah. some photos. It's harmless. Um, Dahmer took him back to his grandmother's house. After sex, Dahmer drugged him and strangled him. He used acid and crushed the remains. Damn. Yeah, and then on March twenty fourth, nineteen eighty eight, he met a twenty five year old named Richard Guerrero. Richard came back to Dahmer's house for nude photos yet again. Mm -hmm. After sex, Dahmer drugged and strangled him again, performed oral on the corpse. And this was his first interaction with like a dead corpse, right? This was kind of his first uh, necrophilia, necrophilia type act. It could have been. Right. I and mean, it's hard to tell because it's just like yeah. his word later on. Yeah, that's true. But I mean, why would he why lie would he about lie? this? Yeah, why would he lie? I mean, <laughs> he's already saying detail. that he did it. It's like, oh, I did it for right. this guy, not that guy. I don't know. How, how could I do oh, it? Oh, how could I? I wouldn't, I wouldn't do guy. it to the 14-year-old. I'll do it to the 25-year-old. <laughs> right. 
Um, on April 23rd, Dahmer lured another young man into, into uh, his grandmother's house after giving the victim a drugged coffee. Both he, this is a kind of a crazy moment. So he, he brings back this dude to his house, his grandmother's house, and he puts some drugs in his coffee. And while he's down there about to kill the dude, his grandmother yells down, is that you, Jeff? She heard that there was another guy down there with him. Yeah. And uh, he was he got worried about it. And Dahmer's... It seems like when he, when there was people in his family that he respected, like disappointing them was like his biggest concern. I think, you yeah. know, like he didn't care about oh, anything yeah. else. Right. He didn't care about the welfare of the people he came across. It was more just like people ex- being exposed for what he truly was. Like he wanted right. to maintain this uh, facade that he had going about. Like he was maybe he didn't he didn't achieve great things in his life, but he was still like at least a decent person in his right, family's right. eyes. That mattered to him, and so it scared him enough. The whole idea of his grandmother finding about finding out about him killing this kid that he uh, ended up taking this kid to the hospital, um, the General County Hospital, and uh, this dude dodged a, a major bullet there. Yeah, seriously, just because of the grandmother intervention. Yeah. It's right yeah, there. Th- did they put that scene in the movie? Because that would be a good one. No, they didn't. He's down there. He's like, I picture like, his hands coming towards the neck as the dude's passed out, and then he's like, you, Jeff? <laughs> <laughs> Shit. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, it's me. God damn it. Right. <laughs> uh, I love you too. God. Right. <laughs> Good night. Yeah. So on September 25th of 1988, Dahmer moved into his own place. Um, working for the chocolate factory, I guess he finally saved up enough money, and he, his, his grandma had already uh, blocked one attempted killing on a, a dude, and that was enough for him to say, right. fuck this, I'm getting my own place. Well, it's about damn time he got his own place because he was making good Grandma money. Grandma always stopping me from killing kids <laughs> and dudes. But he was making good money at the chocolate factory at this time. He was making $9 an hour, which is equivalent of like $19 an hour now. That's pretty, yeah. Yeah, that's good money then. Yeah. For not having really any experience. I mean, no college, a little bit of army medic experience. Right. And, you know, making $19 an hour, that's, that's not bad. Right. Then he gets this slum apartment. But carry on. Yeah. So he gets his own place, September of 1988. Um, his grandmother had actually had enough. I think part of it was him. He's like, all right, it's time to get my own place because I can do so much more. Yeah, that's, that's the main my reason. my own place. And then the I other part of it. taking these bitches to the hospital. Yeah, the other part of it is his grandmother had started smelling weird smells. She got tired of him bringing dudes home to the house. and it was Also, just- at one time, she questioned the trash that he was taking out because like, one of the bags broke open. Mm-hmm. And like apparently when he, was, when he was boiling these bones and stuff, it would create like a black soot. Like yeah. the, the, he was using a product called Soilex. Yep, it was like a cleaning agent. Yeah, and it would create this black soot. And she questioned him about it. She's like, "There's this weird black ooze coming from these bags." She's like, "What is it?" And, and she was I just body remember. juice, Grandma. Yes. Leave me alone. <laughs> like he, he shrugged it off one way or another, but she, can't she, kill anybody around here. It's I bullshit. Think, I think she was afraid to really, to really dig too deep. I think she was kind of she had her suspicions at this time. Right. So she was kind of pressuring him to get out as well. Grandma. She had enough of his shenanigans. Fucking grandma, I can't even dispose of bones. Seriously. Always on my case. I don't dig through your trash. Right. <laughs> uh, so he moves into a one-bedroom apartment on North 25th Street, September 25th. Now, doesn't take long. He gets his own place. He's yeah. feeling good. The following day, he offers $50 to a 13-year-old Laotian boy to pose nude. He gave him a drugged coffee and fondled him. The, the boy escapes, and Dahmer was arrested. Now... He's not getting off so light this time. He gets, uh, he gets summoned to court, and there's the 
sentencing for the assault was suspended until May of 1989. So they're going to, he's, yeah. he's got to appear in court in May of 1989. Before then, it doesn't scare him off that he's already gotten busted for sexual assault of a young teen. No. He's going to do some more shit before he even goes to court for this one. Right. He's got to get it in while he can. So on March 20th, Dahmer commenced a 10-day Easter absence from work during which he moved back to his grandma's home. It seemed like huh. he just liked killing under his grandma's home. Well, you know. And he's, his, mother, his grandmother was religious, so I guess he wanted to be there for her with Easter. I don't know what was going on here. And yeah, this, is bef- this is leading up to the sentencing for his, his uh, sexual assault. Right. He murders his fifth victim during this time, 24-year-old aspiring model named Anthony Sears. Uh, Dahmer met him at a gay bar on March 25th of 1989. He lured Sears back to his grandmother's home where he engaged in oral sex with him before drugging him and strangling him. The following morning, he, he dismembered the corpse in his grandmother's bathtub. He was really, this seemed like he was the dude that he was attracted to the most, was Anthony Sears. He was an aspiring model, really good-looking young dude. Yeah. And he preserved his head and his, this is the first one where he preserves the genitalia, genitalia right. in acetone. I picture like, mm. what does acetone look like? I picture like the stuff that barbers use, like that blue jar with the, the I think where it's they like, put their combs in. It's like, yeah, it's <laughs> like formaldehyde. Just kind of keeps it from deteriorating. Now, this is super fucked up. He's working at the Ambrosia Chocolate Factory, and he keeps the head and the junk in his work locker at the chocolate factory. Where else is he going to keep it, Lauren? It's it's clean. His fucking apartment? I don't know. Not his work locker. How's he going to keep it in his apartment? He's living with his grandma. No, he has his own apartment. He went back to stay with his grandmother for 10 days for Easter. He has his own apartment, but maybe he's worried because he's, you know, going to court soon for the whole sexual assault thing that he's going to get a warrant to check his apartment or something. That's what I picture. Smart move. Yeah, so he... Keeps the head and the junk in his work locker. Yeah. He painted the skull as well. He would paint skulls gray as yeah. to kind of like make them look fake, I guess. Make them appear like and a plastic material or yeah. something. Yeah. And, and to preserve them. It actually worked to some extent. Yeah. And Sears' skull would remain. He would hold on to this thing all the way to the end until he was eventually arrested, mm-hmm. his final arrest. I think all the skulls he has right now uh, made it to the end. Right. Well, we'll talk about what was initially inevitably found in his apartment when he was finally busted. Now, on 1989, on May 23rd, he was sentenced to five years probation and one year in the House of Correction. So he was basically given a work release program. He was given five years probation and a year of a work release program. So he was let off quite easy yet again for the sexual assault of a young teen. Right. Um, Basically, all he had to do was for a year, 12 months, he had to... Uh, go to work at his chocolate factory, mm-hmm. and then when he got off work, he'd have to go in and go into jail right at the House of Correction. And so this only lasted 10 months, though. He was actually t- uh, two months early, he was released. And he was also required to well, finally register as a sex offender as well. Right. Well, you know, during this time um, that he was in this halfway house or whatever you want to call it. you know, Correctional he, facility. Correctional facility. You know, he got taken advantage of. Did he really? Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. He went, yeah, he went home with a guy one time, and he got drugged, and he actually got sodomized with a candlestick. Oh, I did hear about that. Yeah, and he actually ended up passing the candlestick. Oh. Passing part of it back in the correctional facility. Oh. Yeah. He got a little taste of his own medicine there, a little Barbadella medicine, actually. Good. Yeah, so... Yeah, so he did, fun fact for you. He'd end up being released from the program after 10 months, um, where he temporarily moved back into his grandmother's home. So he had lost his apartment, obviously. He moved in back with his grandma temporarily, and in May of 1990, he moved into a new apartment on uh, the Oxford Apartments on 924 North 25th Street, and this would be the infamous apartment yep. where he would 
there would later be found by the police apartment many 213. disturbing things in this apartment, and he would do many disturbing things in this apartment. Yep. Whew. Number 213. This Which apartment. Another thing that pissed me off about the documentary, they put him in 214. I'm like, what the fuck? I'm like, even if 213 just put a new available, fucking thing on just there. put a three on there. Right. Like, it's infamous. It's not like it's a, well, it's a roundabout. We don't know 200s. Right. No, it's 213. Right. And, two, and 13 is a creepier number. It what is. What the fuck? And so once he gets into this apartment uh, on North 25th Street, the spree begins. Now, it's important to mention this is a high this is a high crime area apartment complex, which actually works out in his ben- to his benefit. It's yeah. easier. It seems like it's easier to coax people when their opportunities are less. You know, most of his victims were African-American um, many of them were just uh, minorities in general, right? Um, and he's so he's in this crime, high crime area, and this is when the spree really begins. He this is where he's killing at a crazy rate. So on May 29th, he would ki- uh, he would pick up Ricky Beeks, who was 33 years old. I think I believe this was his oldest victim. He was last seen alive on May 29th. Uh, Ricky Beeks. He met him in a club and offered him money to pose for nude pictures. He then drugged and strangled him had sex with the body. The victim's painted skull would be later recovered in his apartment. Damn. On June, so we had one in May. Uh, in June, Edward W. Smith, 28 years old, Dahmer met him at a bar, offered him money for sex and pictures. After sex, he was drugged and strangled. Dahmer took some pictures during the process of dismembering the body. Yeah, Another thing is, he would do, he would yeah, love to take Polaroid Polaroids. photographs. And that's common, really. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the people we talk about, there's so many similarities, yeah. man. Very like Gacy Randy Kraft, and Berdella type. Randy Kraft, Gacy, uh, Bob Berdella big time. Yeah. Dahmer and Bob Berdella. Aside from Berdella loved the torture way more. Right. Dahmer, it seemed like the uh, the end result was what he wanted more than anything than the killing. He the was, killing was yeah. just something he had to do to be able to have this body to himself. Exactly, exactly. Whereas Bob Berdella was much sicker in that he got off on the pain of the victim. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But they both liked to document the whole process yeah Dahmer, well, Dahmer so was, many disturbing photos you can still look up so many disturbing oh photos God, yeah of, I mean I don't recommend it, it <laughs> unless you've got a real strong stomach man some of them are so honestly probably the most disturbing photographs I've ever seen on the internet were Dahmer's Polaroids there was one where there was a decapitated uh black dude that was like arched over backwards like the exorcist yeah and, like it was just I know it's one you're talking about yeah, yeah, man, it's fucked That's up. one of the famous so photos. Fu- it's like he, he it's almost like he looked at it as art, like this really disturbing art. Like why would you do that? Yeah, that's he always described these bodies as beautiful. Like if they weren't beautiful <sighs> enough to him or they weren't yeah, attractive he, enough, he he wouldn't kill them. I believe there was a quote where he he just straight up said like I only killed I, the pretty ones. Yeah, I went in and the most attractive dude there was the one I went after. Yeah. I was that, it didn't matter what color they were. Nothing mattered other than his and he was into like tall um Athletic build, you right, know, right? Like you and I would have been in a danger if we'd have been in a nightclub. Well, he only killed one white guy, though. That's true. I think we'll be all right. <laughs> Don't shave your chest, <laughs> <laughs> right? Well, if it's a dark room, you never know. <laughs> Got a little sun that day. <laughs> so we talked about Edward Smith. Um, then on September second, uh, he met a twenty-four-year-old named Ernest Miller. Um, Dahmer. He met him at the front of a bookstore, and then Dahmer offered him money to come home with him. After sex, Dahmer drugged him and cut his throat. He took pictures of, of him dismembering the body. Now, this is the first one where he cut up the body and put it in his freezer for yeah. consumption. He was obsessed it, with Ernest's uh, biceps. So he's just going, he's going, he, there's nothing holding him back from just completely exploring all of his darkest fantasies now that he's got his yep. his apartment, he's settled in, he's done his time for the uh, sexual assault. Right. And now he's just going crazy. He's doing whatever he wants. He's killing at a crazy right. rate. And now he's even eating his victims. Right. 
and it, and also he wasn't just the he wasn't like the weird keep to yourself type in the apartment either. Like he actually talked to his neighbors and stuff. Like there's some neighbors that that were interviewed on the thing and they were like, yeah, he used to. There was some weird smells you know, coming hey from his apartment. And this one lady though, she pretty smelled funny. like she chitlins. Was like, she said, "I ate one of his sandwiches." It's like that man gave me a sandwich. I could have ate somebody. I could have <laughs> ate somebody. Literally, body. <laughs> Literally, somebody. <ate> somebody. <laughs> man. So, yeah. It's yeah. Crazy. One neighbor said that it smelled like chitlins coming from his house. That it had a distinct smell, and I guess chitlins have a, like a weird certain yeah. smell to him and i he always had an excuse that one of my fish died or yeah he had an aquarium with like exotic fish yeah, or in his my apartment. or my fridge stopped working so some of my food went has gone bad or, right you know he always had an excuse That's makes true. you wonder like did like human flesh smell that much different than if you had regular frozen meat i guess he would just he would I, my guess would be that mm-hmm. he tried to hold on to these bodies for as long as possible and they were probably decomposing while he was Still experimenting, taking photos and doing sexual sure. acts on them and stuff, and that's probably why. The yeah, there smell... were some that he didn't do any to anything to for like a couple of days. So would, yeah, come on. I mean, his ultimate goal was for them to not even decompose. He, if he could just kill them and have their bodies stay the same they same way they were when yeah. they when they were living, that would be his. Right. Damn nature, man. Yeah, their body. His biggest problem was that the bodies start to decompose. And we've actually got a quote here that proves what we're saying. This is a quote from Dahmer later in prison. It was not a case of hating them. It was just the only way I knew of to keep them there and keep them with me. Right. Yeah, it was a, it was a power trip for him. Now, it was also, you know, it was impossible for him to get an erection if the person was, like, moving too much and, and around and stuff. So, like, that was one of his biggest problems because he was, I mean, as a gay man, he was always the bottom if the person was alike. Oh, yeah, or life, or conscious. So you know, in order for him to to have his turn or to be the top, that's what had to happen. That sounds crazy, but I think that he mixed with to his just not move. <laughs> I think that mixed with his just he, he. I think truly he liked to be alone, but he also had sexual needs. You know, this is just my opinion. I think the dude like he got some real social anxiety at a young as a young a a young child yeah moving around and stuff and then it it just implanted this thing where he didn't want to get too close to people like yeah you know he didn't want friends and stuff like that he just wanted to do his own thing and not be judged and just go through life but he also had sexual needs and so it fit Mm -hmm. him perfectly to have someone he was attracted to just then to be able to do whatever he wanted to them and then not have to talk to them not have any of that yeah. Which proves later on he would try to make zombies out of these dudes to where they were just they yeah. were living so that they wouldn't decompose, they weren't dead, but he wanted them there just to do what he wanted with their body. He their body was an object to him. It was exactly. it was like artwork. He was so attracted to the male form. Yeah. You know, that he just wanted that to himself. And on September twenty fourth, he met David C. Thomas. Um that was September twenty fourth was the day that he was last seen. Dahmer met yeah. him on the street and offered him money to come home with him. He then drugged him and murdered him without sex, taking pictures as he dismembered now, the this body. Is, this is one of the different cases. He really did not want to kill Thomas. He did not want to kill this guy. He wasn't entirely even attracted to him. But he felt like if he if he let him go, he felt like that he could be led back or maybe he wanted to continue the friendship or something like that, and it just wasn't an option right. at this point. And he had already drugged him as well. So he knew if he woke up and was like, whoa, you know, what'd you do to me? He could go to the cops. So this was more of a self-preservation uh, kill uh-huh. than it was an actual attraction. Like he, he actually said later, like, I, I, I wish I didn't had to kill Thomas. Actually, Thomas had a wife and child at home. Oh. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, it's, so it's, obviously it's terrible what he did to any of these guys and killing them and taking them way too early before yeah. they were supposed to die and everything. But when they have a family, it's just that much things that much more. Yeah, and he didn't lure Thomas as as oh, you want to come get naked and take pictures. Um, but he, but he did say like, you know, basically, you know, I do have money. You want to come hang out, have some beers or whatever. Right. He kind of lured him in that way. Yeah. And Thomas was a struggling father. In the Randy husband, Kraft type of needed way. Needed cash. Yeah. Yeah. So he was like, yeah, I'll hang out with you for a little bit or whatever. Yeah. So do what I got to do, I guess. Yeah. And so we're in 1991 now, uh, March 7th. So there's a little break there. We got a few months where he didn't kill anyone. Right. Um, he met Curtis Slaughter, uh, Last day he was seen was March 7th. He was 18 years old. Dahmer had picked him up at a bus stop, offering him money to come home with him. He then drugged and strangled him after sex. He took pictures of the dismemberment process, and the painted skull would later be recovered from his apartment after his arrest. Right. His MO is getting pretty regular here. Yeah. It's starting, you start to see in a pattern here. I mean, I know you have for a few He's still experimenting guys, with but, preservation, different things to yeah. preserve the bodies as much as possible because he got off on – he would bring these skulls out – and masturbate to them. Yeah, he, he almost had somewhat of a shrine. He had a goal. Like that. that was his goal to have a yeah. full-on shrine. Like he was right. going to be ordering things. He wanted it to be like a black a black blanket. It had to be like yeah. the per, like a blue light or some shit. Like he wanted to be a perfect shrine. Figure eventually for him. he would paint them like candy skulls. Just kind of have like little flowers around the eyes and stuff. Yeah, which <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that would have saved lives in the future if he had completed his shrine, and that would have been. Um, it depends no on way. how big a shrine There's was no going to be. Because then you could never have a big enough shrine. Like, right. you just want it to be bigger. He'd just right. be like his whole apartment, you'd walk in and just be like fucking skulls everywhere. Yeah, then he'll be wanting to show people, hey, check out this shrine. Ah, oh, fuck, now I got to kill you. God damn it. <laughs> All right. You saw the shrine. Ah, oh, damn it. You want to check out my shrine? Now I got to kill sure. you. Sure. Ah, oh, fuck. Why'd you, why'd you say that? Now I guess you're going to be a part of it. <laughs> right. So that was in March. And then in April, the very next month, uh, he met Errol Lindsay, 19 years old. He met him on the street and offered him money to come home with him. This is the first case. God, this just makes me cringe. Man. This is where it was like, dude, you've gone. What you were doing was. Too far. But yeah, this is where he now starts experimenting on living. I like how we're saying this people. is too far, but yeah. Yeah, <laughs> now strangling them them <laughs> and then keeping their skulls them, and everything. Okay, is. But you go drilling holes in the head. That's just weird. Yeah, this is where I start to cringe, you know. Um, Errol Lindsay, 19, he got them back to the house, drugged them, and then he began trying to experiment with preservation of a human body alive. Like he wanted to keep them in a yeah. zombie state where they could do nothing about. Basically, Bob Rodella kind of perfected this where he would remember he would inject them with painkillers to where they were like aware of what was going on with the kit and move. They couldn't do anything about it. Yeah, he just kept coming back with the painkillers. I yeah. think that would have been Dahmer's way to go if he was smarter but what he was, what he would start doing is with Lindsay he drilled a hole in the skull and poured muriatic acid into it wanting to basically incapacitate him to where he right. was alive right i don't know if he was going to start feeding him with a feeding tube or what he was going to do but he wanted the living body to be there immobile so that he could do his sex acts and whatever he wanted to the body right that failed um Errol Lindsay died and he well he actually ended up strangling him and having sex with the body right what a shocker. Yeah, that's just, that's that's a horrible man. Because, yeah, they, they noticed that there was, like, inflammation marks and stuff, even around the skulls and stuff, when they did the the last, like, medical examiner yeah. investigations or whatever. So they noticed that every person he drilled into was still alive. Yeah. Had to have been. Now, in May, we have the ultimate, how the fuck did he get away? This, of all the cases we've oh, done, yeah. this is the ultimate, like, Jesus Christ, this dude was just meant to 
keep killing because right. like, it's they, like they, what is it is it is it inadequacies in the police i knew you're gonna say it it is it is 100 percent. no it they is. were so uncomfortable with gay sex that they let a serial killer continue to kill yeah so in may Dahmer met 14 year old conorac synthesophone sorry if i got that wrong word that word wrong it's real tough it's uh sounds like the first first take of the telephone or something. Right. The very first one. <laughs> I call it the synthesophone. Uh how about the telly? That's phone? easier. Let's do that. Let's do the telly. Now this is the brother of the this is the I believe the younger brother of the person that he had sexually assaulted and gotten convicted for a couple of years back. Oh, the Loatian he's lo- this is the, the Loatian kid. The Loatian kid that he had uh, sexually assaulted and gone yes. and d- done the year yes. of work release program. You're right. This, this is, is his brother. brother. This yeah. is his younger brother. Mm-hmm. And he meets Conorak in front of a mall and offered him money to pose for nude photos. That just goes to show his type was was pretty specific. Pretty specific. He wasn't just grabbing anybody out there. And he's he was, living in a certain area where he's yeah. just anybody in his area. If you lived near Dahmer during this time and you were about the nightlife and you were out and about, maybe a gay dude, you're really at risk here yep um so he agrees to go take nude photos and, and uh take the money from Dahmer and after the pictures Dahmer drugged Conorak performed oral on him and then went out for a beer now there's I read one source that said that he had actually heard he drilled into Conorak's head right and like th- put brought him to the bedroom and like there was already a body in the bedroom and mm-hmm. like Conorak kind of remembers this mm-hmm. now I don't so by that he drilled into his head because Conrad stumbles out of the apartment. Yeah. When Dahmer goes out for a beer, leaves him there for later, he stumbles out, he I, comes across some neighbors, he comes across the police. If they had seen a hole drilled in his head, there would be blood everywhere and there's no way... There would be no question of... of right. Of, this was just some uh, yeah wrongdoing. But yeah, he I think he was just seriously medicated, seriously drugged and, and yes. somewhat out of it and just realized enough, okay, and, I got to get out of here. Apparently, uh, there's other people that say that he was bleeding from the anus as well. Like he'd already been raped. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, anyways, he stumbles out. He comes across some neighbors, and he's, like, speaking gibberish, like, speaking Loasian, um, another language. He's, he's really drugged up, and the neighbors are really concerned for his well-being, and they call the police. The police come out. Around this time, uh, they're trying to explain to the police what's going on, and Dahmer comes back to his apartment, sees all this going on, come walk, comes walking on up. Yeah, this just shows you like his composure, like he. Yeah, totally. Calm. I think part of it's the alcohol, like liquid courage, like he's just yeah. like, just that cool, just be cool, it's, okay. it's fine. Yeah, goes up and tells the police that he, this is his gay lover, that they're right. in a lovers' quarrel, that it's fine. You know, we've been drinking, everything's now, fine. I heard also that. Uh, Dahmer showed up bef- right before the police got there. Okay. And he was arguing with these the neighbors. other neighbors, these other two women. Mm-hmm. I, can't, I can't remember their names right now. I guess they're really not that too important. But I, um, he was arguing with them because they seen that the boy was petrified of Dahmer. Yeah. Like he's just terrified. How could you not be? Yeah. And then the cops pull up. And so these women are, are there too. You got to kind of put yourself in the scene. They're like, uh, no, he's he's scared of him. He can't go with him. Right. Can't go with him, you know. And it's, and of course, this is in the projects of Milwaukee pretty yeah. much. And, you know, and they're not, Dahmer they're not taking this serious. is a sex offender. Right. Now, they standard police procedure seems to me to go, well, let's go search the, you know, this guy's here. He's claiming to be in a lover's quarrel with this dude. This right. dude's obviously drugged up. He's He's scared of this guy. Let's look up. Where, can I see some ID? Let's look this guy he up. He has his ID on him. Yes. They don't do that. They don't look up the ID, but they do look at his ID, but they don't, they they don't, don't look dig any further than that. Well, he seems like they a nice... They even uh, follow him back to the apartment. 
Yes. They walk in, and then they see the boys' clothes are folded all nice. It ain't, it ain't like they were stripped off of them or anything. They're mm-hmm. folded nice and on the couch. And and Dahmer goes on to explain, you know, oh, he's my 19-year-old lover. You know, he lies about his age, obviously. The boy's mm-hmm. only 14. He says, he's my 19-year-old lover. And, you know, we were just, you know, he's had a little too much to drink. I promise this won't happen again. Yeah. But I figure at the very least, you'd be like, well, let me see his ID. Yeah. Let me see his ID. Yeah. Meanwhile, supposedly the body of 31-year-old Tony Hughes, who had Dahmer had killed just the day before, yeah. was in his bedroom. Yeah. And the, like one of the police officers peeked in there but didn't really walk into the bedroom. Like peeked in there, didn't see visually the body in the room. And so, I mean, they, they, it was right under their nose. In the fridge were heads. They didn't Like in the yeah. bedroom, there was a, a fresh body that he had killed the day yeah. before. And like they just really, and they even admitted later on that they were so uncomfortable with the situation because it was yep. a young gay couple supposedly in their head. As, as far as what Dahmer was saying, they were so uncomfortable. They even admitted they were like we were just uncomfortable with the whole gay sex aspect yeah. of it. And so we didn't left. even look into the smell. Right, nothing. And later, mild disciplinary action would be taken against the officers. Uh, so they pretty much slap on the wrist. I'm sure they maintain their jobs. Maybe right, they got don't like do a, that anymore. Okay. Yeah. If they look a little deeper. Yeah. And the department would actually be sued for a large sum amount of money from the family, um, mm. from synthesum from his family. Right. Um, once Dahmer was obviously discovered to be what he actually was. Right. Because after the cops left, God. he finished him off. Yeah. He finished so Conorak would be put through hell after that. That night, he would have his head drilled into. Um, acid would be put into his brain where he would die shortly thereafter, and then the body would be dismembered. Um, their skull was later recovered from Dahmer's apartment. Um, we talked about Tony Hughes. Uh, Tony Hughes, the deal with him is Dahmer had offered him $50 to come home and pose for nude pictures. Hughes was drugged and murdered. Uh, his unpainted skull was recovered from his apartment. Now, on June 30th, he's just on a complete rampage right now. This whole yeah. this whole year of 90, 91... He's yeah. just going crazy in this new apartment of his. On June 30th, Matt Turner, that was the last day he was seen alive. They met in Chicago at the bus station uh, at a gay pride parade. So apparently Dahmer yep. had made a little trip to Chicago. Yeah, he actually, I think he went to that every year. The gay pride parade? Yeah, it's not too far of a drive from Milwaukee. Um, while there, Dahmer offered him money to pose nude, drugged him, and strangled him with a strap. After cutting up the body, Dahmer put the head in the freezer and the rest in a barrel of acid he had obtained. Yeah. <laughs> Him buying the the barrel is kind of funny in the documentary. Like he just walks up like to these guys. They're just like outdoors. Like right. it looks like in an alley. Uh-huh. And uh, they're like, yeah, we'll load it up for you. Where's your car? He's like, I don't have one. I'm just going to carry it. They're like, you're just going to carry it? Like, yeah. <laughs> just pays him and just picks it up and walks all awkwardly down the street Jesus. with a barrel in his hand. Those big ass blue barrels. <laughs> yeah. So what are you it, doing but, with that? this is some ah, crazy nothing. shit, man. Because like uh, – we just talked about how he had met Matt Turner in Chicago and got him back to his apartment where he right. would dismember him and everything. And also, July 6th, uh, he met Jeremiah, Jeremiah Weinberger, uh, who's 23 years old. He met them. He met him at a Chicago gay bar where Dahmer offered him money to come back to Milwaukee with him. Right. So he got two guys from Chicago to come yeah. back to Milwaukee with him. And, uh, and this is just a, um, to prove how you know, persuasive Dahmer was. Like Jeremiah was actually with friends at uh-huh. the bar. Yeah. He was actually with friends, and he was like, you know, what do you guys think? You know, he actually talked to his friends privately, supposedly. Mm-hmm. His, I guess his friends later contested to this. And was like, you know, what do you think of this guy? Is he all right? And they're like, yeah, whatever. You know, he seems okay to us. You know? Big mistake. Yeah. Yeah, so, so. he gets him back to his apartment uh, in Milwaukee and 
drugs him, strangles him, dismembers the body, takes pictures of the whole process. This is a day later, though. So he gets him back to the apartment in Milwaukee. Right. And Jeremiah, like, is willingly hanging out and, like, I guess what Dahmer wants, like, in a partner, like, yeah, not trying to leave yet. But the second that Jeremiah leaves, or tries to, to leave, leave yeah. now they're the, the one surviving victim. Yep. He's like, hey, how about one more drink, you know? One more drink for the road. Right. The Yo, one, one more drink for the road trick. We'll hear more, but the one that later got away from Dahmer says that once he tried to leave, that's when... They, so the, you have to believe that pretty much every victim that Dahmer... That came across Dahmer, it was probably the same scenario. Everything was fine until they tried to leave. Yep. You know, and then everything flipped. Yep. You're probably right. Yeah. And you, you, you kind of think now, too, about... Um, like Gacy's final victim where the kid that tried to, the kid that wanted to leave and he's like at the door and then he's like, Nope, you're not going anywhere. That type of thing. It makes you wonder because like if he, if he truly just wanted to have sex with dead bodies, why not kill him as soon as I got there? Like why, why indulge in consensual sex first? Or maybe he was just trying to earn their trust. Maybe he's like, you know, I'll be at the bottom first and then we'll see what happens. I think ultimately he, he, he wouldn't have his, Best case scenario would be for this guy that he's really attracted to to just l- never leave the apartment. Like, just be alive, right, be right. his partner, never leave, never go to the store, never go anywhere because you'd be so afraid of him leaving. That can never happen. People have their own lives. Yeah. So, like, he would allow them to be there in his company as, as long as they didn't want to leave. But the second they wanted to leave, that's when he's like, just a panic set in. Yeah. Like, you're not leaving me. Right. I'm not going to be alone. And if it has, to, if that means I have to be alone with your body, that's better yeah. than being alone. Period. Thank God our dogs don't go that far, huh? Right. <laughs> Maybe he just needed a dog, man. Maybe if he just bought a dog, he'd have that companionship, and he Ooh. could have a dog and a doll. I think a dog and a doll. A dog and a you know a doll from one of the stores. He just we'll needed another everything. mannequin, another mannequin, and a dog. Yeah, and okay. he might have been fine. All right. Maybe probably, on July fifteenth. This is only seven days. Eight days after Jeremiah Weinberger was last seen, right? Um, he was fired from the Ambrosia Chocolate Factory for bad attendance. So oh, this is something that had on. been going on for a while. When he would meet these guys, he would end up having right. to call in sick because he had to dismember their body after he killed them. Right. Or, or sometimes it was just to spend more time with them. Yep. With the body, he was just like, eh, "I'm feeling going in the day. I got this new friend." Yeah. We're hanging out. Yeah. So he's fired on July 15th, the same day. Oliver Lacey, 23 years old, was last seen alive. Dahmer had met him on the street, and they went back to his apartment. Lacey was drugged and strangled. Dahmer had sex with the body before dismembering it, and he put the the head in the refrigerator and his heart in the freezer for yeah, later. He had, built, he had uh, bought a deep freezer <clears throat> at this time. Comes and in it, handy. Yeah, they I kinda, have that for hunting. I mean, yeah, it was just kind of like one of those you know, square deep freezers. Mm-hmm. But it was it was <clears throat> odd. One of the things that was noted in the uh, in the police investigation was he just had it kind of in the dining room. It was just kind of sitting there. It wasn't even like against the wall or anything. Just, just like an island. Just kind of sitting there, like on carpet. Just, wow. just kind of sitting there in the middle with a cord coming from it to the yeah, wall. Well, you never know when you're going to need a human heart. We want it close by. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Now this takes us to his final murder, July 16th. Joseph Bradhoft, 25 years old, was last seen alive. They met at the bus stop where Dahmer offered him money to pose for nude photos. After sex, Dahmer drugged him and strangled him. We talked. This is his MO at this point. Right. Strangled him with a strap. He dismembered the body, and uh, before he put the, as he did before, he put the head in the freezer and the body in an acid barrel. Now, this is one other thing that he had learned over the years is right. to, for torsos, <clears throat> he got a big blue barrel, uh, like industrial-sized barrel, and yeah. he used acid to dissolve the uh 
torsos of his victims. Right. You know, that wasn't something he was the interested in. The old Breaking in. Bad trick. Yeah. He wasn't interested in holding on to the torso. There wasn't much there. He liked the skull. He would even hold on to, like, hands. Like, he had hands, but I believe, in his... What's so odd, though, is, like, the torso is what attracted him to these guys, though, at first. They're a lean build, yeah. Yeah, it was the torso, it was the hairless chest, but then afterwards... But that's the quickest thing to decompose, though, I But then like. afterwards, they're like, he's like, ah, I don't, I don't, I can't. Yeah, well, maybe that. Maybe you can't really preserve a torso the way no, it looks. It's all organs. Because you kind of need the skin for it to be attractive. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so I guess yeah, he'd have to get rid of them. I could picture him just crying, dropping the torsos in there. <laughs> <laughs> it was beautiful. <clears throat> yeah, so... He used the large barrel for the uh, torso of Joseph Bradhoff, his final victim. Now this takes us to this is the end. This July the twenty end. July twenty second, nineteen ninety one. He finally met his match. Dahmer approached three men with an offer of a hundred dollars to accompany him to his apartment and pose nude for photographs. Yeah. One of which was Tracy Edwards, who's thirty two years old. Right. Now here's the thing though, the other two dudes said that they would come. Really? But they weren't gonna pose, but he gave them a different address. Oh, they were my like, God. yeah, he was like, hell, oh, well, yeah, he was like, you know, he, he approached Tracy or whatever and was like, hey, if you want to ride with me, he's like, you know, we can just have them meet us there later for drinks or whatever. So he's comfortable. And he gave them a different address. Right. So Tracy's thinking, my boys will be here soon. Yeah, my boys it's will be it's, here. It'll be, be fine. Job. You know, nothing can happen. Right. Um, once back at the apartment, it, things got weird. So Tracy's there. He's standing there looking at, we talked about how uh, Jeff had a, like a tropical fish tank. Yeah, and Tracy's yeah, yeah. standing there looking at it, and while he's got his back turned looking at the fish tank, Dahmer slaps a he he slaps a pair of handcuffs on one of his wrists. He's only able to get it on one of his wrists, and at that point, Tracy's like, "Hey, hey, hey. what's going on? What the hell? What's going on here?" Yeah. Uh, and he and he's already noticed some strange things about the apartment. You know, he's the deep freezer you're talking about, like on yeah. a rug by itself, <laughs> and then like weird so in the dining room. Sm- yeah, weird smells and just don't you eat over there? Oh yeah, I eat over there. Yeah, I eat over there. <laughs> and so things got weird. And at one point when they're, like, doing some stuff, <laughs> Dahmer notes that he's going to be eating his heart later. So so he says, Naturally, man. that freaks Tracy out a bit. So so Tracy says, you know, this is this doesn't sound like Dahmer. But then, but then again, all of his other victims couldn't have I told us. I think he's gotten brash at this point. I think you it's think very so? possible that he said you that. You think yeah. he's just taunting him? He's got, an, he's got another dude's heart in his freezer right now. At this yeah, point. but nothing, nothing <clears throat> led to... Led you to believe that he's a process killer, though. Like, that he enjoys this taunting, Getting this off killing of, killing. of somebody. Right. Like he, he just never seemed to like that. But but we don't have a lot of um, voices saying otherwise because yeah, he killed everybody else. Yeah, you know? right. I get you. I get you. Yeah. So at some point, Tracy made him feel comfortable enough. That's one thing. I think Tracy was real smart in that he's like, okay, if I try and make a run for it right away when, when Dahmer slapped this thing on my wrist – my odds aren't good. He tried to get comfortable. He tried to get Dahmer comfortable with the fact that he wasn't leaving. I think yeah. he sensed that Dahmer didn't want him to leave. And if he kind of played it cool, like he went in the bedroom with him for a while. And then he, when he came out to the living room, he noticed that the he never locked the front door when he mm-hmm. came in. Right. And so he sees his opportunity. He punches Jeff Dahmer in the face, knocking him oh. down, and takes off for the front door and is able to get out the front door. Right. And real quick, uh, Dahmer went through like extreme measures to – uh, secure his apartment, yeah. And it wasn't it wasn't for people coming in. It's people coming. It was out. so people couldn't get out. He had like multiple locks on his front door, that so that even if you you know obviously you unlock them from the inside, but even yeah. if you did, it would take time. Mm-hmm. It would take a lot of time to unlock them. He had like seven deadbolts on his front door. And then he had security cameras installed. Like he yeah. knew where people were in his apartment. Yeah, all the time. 
So it's just something to note. He he wasn't doing it for security reasons, but it was easy to justify that it was for security reasons because of the area that yes, he lived in. No doubt. Yeah. Well, anyway, Tracy punches him and is able to get out the front door. I don't know how many locks he had engaged at that moment. But <laughs> Come on, get out. It's like a horror movie. Yeah. <laughs> hey, what's the code to... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> While you're down there, tell me. So he gets out and um, he is able to flag down a police car and he's got handcuffs on one hand. The police officers happen to be Rol- uh, Rolf Mueller and Robert Ralph. He leads the cops back to Dahmer's apartment. Um, once they get to the apartment, Dahmer answers the door and he indicates to the police that the key to the handcuffs is in his bedroom. Yeah. There had been a little lover's quarrel. I'm sure he thought he was going to get out of this one just like he did with the uh, Laotian boy that he killed. Right, right. Um, once inside the bedroom, uh, Officer Mueller saw an open drawer in the bedside table in right, his bedroom, right. like an end, end table, and noticed that there were some Polaroid photographs in there, like a stack of them. And yeah. he, it caught his eye because he what was they were disturbing photos of what right. appeared to be dismembered He wasn't human even bodies. sure what he was looking at. He was like, is this some kind of joke? Is right. this like a movie set? Like, what is this? Yeah. Um, once Dahmer got confronted by Mueller with the photographs, he started to fight. And so that it was that point they realized they had something. Dahmer put up a fight, and then the officers were able to get him under control, handcuff yeah. him. And, and once they proceeded they re- to check the rest of the apartment. Yeah. <laughs> so once they started looking around uh, Dahmer's apartment, they found not only the photos of the dismembered bodies, but they found body parts in the refrigerator, including heads. They were like, hey, Dama, you got any beer in here? Holy fuck! <laughs> <laughs> While we're here, well, <laughs> we're going to get to the bottom of these photographs. I'm going to get a beer. What, what the, the fuck? fuck? <laughs> yeah. In Dahmer's freezer, investigators discovered an entire torso. So it must have been one of the torsos, the guys that he was most attracted to and he was yeah. trying to preserve. Right. Uh, a bag of human organs. And flesh stuck to ice at the bottom of the freezer. Two human hearts and a portion of a male arm muscle, uh, each wrapped in plastic bags upon the shelves of his refrigerator. Also, a total of seven skulls, some painted, some bleached, were found in his bedroom and inside a closet. A total of four severed heads were found in his kitchen in the refrigerator. Right. Um, the police would obviously quarantine the area. This They would bring in suits, like hazmat suits. Yeah. Um, just start there's classic video of them like wheeling out on dollies like his freezer that was all wrapped in tape yeah and and then just boxes and boxes yeah jars of male genitalia and yeah just all kinds of just nasty ass shit a total of 74 polaroid photos detailing the dismemberment of his victims were found not a lot of room for argument from his side it's like Mm, nope you know there's photos let's see he's being um he's being questioned right now you know, he, while they're searching and pulling all the stuff out, he's not just hanging out in the apartment going, oh, oh, don't touch that. Don't touch that. You know, right. he's down at the station already. Yeah. He's being booked. They're uh, tearing things apart. The lead detective is is questioning him. And They so, also found, real quick, two entire skeletons, a pair of severed hands, two severed and preserved penises, a mummified scalp, and a 57-gallon drum in which they found three dismembered torsos that were dissolving in an acid solution. Right. So, yeah, so... During all this, the detective is talking to him or whatever, and after several hours, you know, he gets Dahmer some coffee and a cigarette, and, mm-hmm. you know, so he sits down, and, well, at first he sits down, and he's like, so, tell me about the head in the fridge, you know, and Dahmer is just cool yeah. as ever. He's like, eh, I don't think it's in my best interest to talk to you about that. Mm-hmm. 
You know, he just stays real chill about it, and that catches the detective off guard. He's like, oh, shit, didn't ask for a lawyer, didn't ask for anything. Right. So eventually he befriends him and wears him down or whatever, and this whole time the detective's getting calls, and it's like, hey, we found this, we found that, and Dahmer can hear it. Yeah. So finally he's like, all right, well, if I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you from the beginning. Right. So he starts all the way back to the hitchhiker when he was 18. Mm-hmm. And so the detective is listening to this, and he's like, he Stephen just, Hicks. Stephen Hicks, that's his yeah. name. So he puts the pen, he puts his pen and paper down. And he's like, this guy's full of shit. Like he's just crazy, right. right? There's, it's just until he starts getting all these calls. Until he starts getting more calls, and they're like, no, this guy's for real. Like we found we a barrel found with three tor- skulls, torsos, torsos and skeletons, and, and he's like, okay, uh, <clears throat> he stumbles me, around. Uh, he's like, oh, let me, where's my pen? Uh, okay. State that again, <laughs> please. Start from the beginning, please, yeah. uh, Mr. Dahmer. Jesus. So yeah, he starts over and uh, gives a full. Do you think there was some? Uh, do you think there was some relief from Dahmer as far as being caught? Because I, I, he always knew that he had a sickness, and he he was getting sloppy at the end on purpose. I think. Yeah, he that's ha- tired, man. That tends to happen a lot. The, he did seem to have remorse. Now, some people think it was fake. Some people think he was just. I think everyone has remorse when they're caught for shit. But I, I think also at, at this time he was starting to realize that there was no real, um, there was no real medicine for this issue he had there was nothing right. that was going to scratch this itch no. that he had he he just he just kept trying shit like he even admitted he's like i just ate them just to see if mm-hmm. like having them with me would if be, i could would, fill a void would, or that whatever would do something for me and i i think he did he, say that that made yeah. him feel as though they were always with him when he ate them right but i think even that wore off and so he was like oh, what do i do you know it's just like i have this is it's that it just can't be scratched. Right. And I think he was just starting to get depressed. Like, I'm just a broken person. Yeah. I'm sorry for what I did, but I'm just broken. And it's like, you almost feel a little bit, of, a little bit of empathy for him. Yeah, and here's a quote from him after his arrest. I know society will never be able to forgive me. I know the families of the victims will never be able to forgive me for what I have done. I promise I will pray each day to ask for their forgiveness for when the hurt goes away, if, I, if ever I have seen their tears, and I, if I could give my life right now to, be give, to bring their loved ones back, I would do it. I should have stayed with God. I tried and I failed and I created a holocaust. Hmm. Now he would later end up I don't think he created a holocaust. I don't think he's He would blame his lack of great. He would blame his father's lack of installation of religion into him growing up as part of why he did what he did because he didn't feel like he had to be held responsible for anything that he did because uh-huh. if he was if he was atheist and there was no one that created him and no one watching over him and no yeah. one like he felt like, well, it's a lawless world. Then I can do whatever right. I, I can want. Do whatever my, I want. There's I no, am my own god yeah. in a sense. There's no greater power. So yeah, he blamed his father. And he blamed his father for installing uh, evolution into him because yeah. his dad was into science and stuff right, like right, that. Right, right, And if he had been taught that Jesus was, you know, if he'd been taught Jesus was his god and everything, then it would be fine. But yeah, you think so? No, Probably not. that's when I, I was like, dude, I, I like that he was he showed remorse and apologized and, and said that what he could do could never be undone. And if he could give his life and yada, yada, that was all great. But when then he starts turning blame on his father for. Man, this. Yeah, this is the it's thing. It's like, like, come on, dude. It's like you like to think people can change and reform. But like, you know, I grew up in a Christian family and they and I've seen a lot of people come and go in churches that I've been in come in, they they beg and they ask for forgiveness for the shitty stuff that they've done. Mm-hmm. And they seem so genuine for a little while. But then they do and it the again. And the next thing you know, they're, they're slipping a little bit and a little bit more. Well, mm-hmm. quote, unquote, slipping. 
You know right. what I mean? To the Christians, I mean, damn, if, if you're not fucking praying and not doing anything else right. and reading your Bible or whatever, then you're slipping. But they would get right, they would go right back to where they were. Yeah. And, it, you know, you just see it over and over again. You're like, after a while, you're like, man, can people really change? Like, are people just, sometimes are people just bad people? Or, no. Or not necessarily bad people, or like, or is what they're doing really a bad thing? Right. Like sometimes, you know, I mean, obviously in Dahmer's case it is. Yeah. But I'm, I'm thinking on a much lower scale here. Dahmer had a sickness and he would even say like there was, he couldn't, he wishes he could turn off whatever it was, but even when he was in prison, he still had the same urges. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. For real. So, so Dahmer initially pleaded not guilty. Um, but later he confessed to the killings during police interrogation and eventually changed his plea to guilty by virtue of insanity. Yeah, so he tried to say that he was insane, that he couldn't stop these urges to to basically have sex with dead bodies. His right, his need for this was, it was out of his control is what he tried to say, and the jury right. found that to be bullshit. I Even, believe the majority yeah. of the jury found him to be set, fit for trial and that he was well aware of what he was doing and that he was aware that what he was doing was wrong. And so yeah. they, he would end up being charged with 15 consecutive life terms in prison with an additional yep. tacked on later on, which yeah, was, ended up being like 900 and something years oh, because yeah. Wisconsin had no death penalty right, right. during this time. So Yeah, it was a 10-2 majority vote by the jury. I wonder what those two people thought. Well, they probably just thought he was insane. Right, <clears throat> which he was. I mean, he was, I don't know. It's, it's tough because it's like I... He I'm definitely with, had a mental illness. I don't yeah, know he, he did. He had a sickness that he couldn't stop himself, but at the same time, like he was well aware that what he was doing was wrong. And it's like you can make the same argument for like pedophiles. Like they have a sickness, they're attracted to children. Right. They know what they're doing. If they act on it, they know what they're doing is wrong and they need to be locked up. Right. And once in prison, um, of course, there's a lot of people coming out for blood on Dahmer. Right. I mean, you know, it, being a high profile murderer and killing a lot of black men. Yeah. And, you know, it's some people thought it was a racial thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, it, well, he at least confessed it was just, he was just, that's what he was attracted to. But um, that next July, a convicted drug dealer tried to cut his throat with a razor blade attached to a toothbrush handle, mm. um, which he kind of cut him up pretty good, but no real damage. Um, he was He, he was just fine. got scarred up just a little bit. superficial cuts. Yeah, he was yeah. fine. So later, uh, 1994, it was November 28th. Dahmer and two other inmates were assigned to clean the staff uh, bathroom of the gymnasium, mm-hmm. which is weird because the guards left them alone, which was not supposed to happen. So there's a lot of conspiracy surrounding this. Yeah, because uh, Carver, the guy that they, right. they get left alone with, had been saying to prison guards and, and all over the prison that if they left him alone, he was a killer. Like, Carver was a black man yeah. who was known to be racist. Um, he had been done wrong by a lot of whites in his life. At least he'd felt so. And then he had also known Jeffrey's track record of killing, you know, uh, young black men. At least what thirteen black men? The majority of the majority of his victims were black. Right. Um, so the guards left them alone to do their work for about twenty minutes, <laughs> starting at seven fifty a.m. Yeah. Um, and then later, Dahmer was discovered. He was unconscious, and his head and face were just covered in blood. Him, along with another inmate as well. Right. Right. Which was, uh, the other inmate was a, a white supremacist, right? He was, who murdered his wife and then tried to blame it on two unexisting black men. Right. His name was <laughs> Jesse Anderson. He was 37 years old. Right. So, and the third inmate who was present that day was Christopher Scarver. Yeah. And he came out and did interviews later. And he said that, you know, they, they knew, like the, the prison guards and stuff knew that if they, le- if they left Carver alone with these two guys, yep. they knew what was going to happen. Yep. 
and that they wanted it to happen. And Carver was Carver was Scar- happy about what he had done. So yeah. And it was done with what, like a barbell, right? Yeah, supposedly. And then there was he, also a, like a bloody. He killed broomstick Anderson with the broomstick, and then killed uh, Dahmer. Dahmer with the barbell, supposedly. And Scarver said that Dahmer did not even try to fight back at all. He just totally accepted it. He just had no fight in him mm-hmm. whatsoever. He, I don't know. People suspect that maybe Dahmer felt like he deserved it. Mm-hmm. And then some people said that Dahmer put himself in the situation because mm-hmm. he was a Christian now, supposedly, and suicide is a sin. Yeah. So if somebody else kills you, it's a release. You're out of here. Right. So maybe that was that was part of it. There's a lot of conspiracy about it. Um, the guards were never charged. Nothing was ever brought up because yeah. you know there's just prisoners and uh, Scarver was given another life sentence. Oh, whoop de doo, Basil. You know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, exactly. You know, he he doesn't give a shit. <clears throat> So that is the uh, demise of Jeffrey Dahmer. <sighs> oh, what are your final thoughts on Dahmer? I, you know what? I went into it wanting to hate him as much as I hated some of the other people, but I just, I, I didn't hate him as much as I hated like William Bonin or because William Bonin was so about the Be- they were part Bob of the kill. and and Bonin to me the two that stick out the most as far as people we've done so far that and even Richard Ramirez because they just loved inflicting pain on the victims, whereas Dahmer yeah. was more about the end result than it yeah. was the killing itself. I think you'd rather be, most people would agree they'd rather be a victim of Dahmer, unless you were one of the few uh, unfortunate ones that he drilled into the head of while you were drugged up. That was Right, but was I think even, even them, even they didn't know what was going on at that But the time, horror of what he did was more what he did to the bodies after he killed them, which is, yeah. The crimes against humanity that were committed here were just, yeah. You know, they were just so atrocious that that's, that's why he's disturbing. top three serial killers of all time, easy. Right. Yeah. He's, and he had such a normal seeming like outward appearance to the public. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. But I mean, what do you do you think do you think he lured people back the way he said he did or well with money? Do you think it was more um like his his like the last guy Tracy Edwards had said. Because you know Tracy Edwards claimed that he wasn't offered money and he just went back to Dahmer's for some beer. Mm-hmm. But I think Tracy may have been embarrassed to say why he was really going to Dahmer's apartment. Oh, for sex? If or? Dahmer, yeah. Yeah, he may have been even trying to cover it up. Or some people think that Dahmer lied about the way he got his victims to make his victims seem less innocent. Yeah. You know, it may be. I don't know. Maybe. Or maybe he was just up front with them. He's like, hey, come back to my place for some dick and noodle soup. <laughs> they were like, what? <laughs> uh, 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 chicken noodle soup, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Dick and noodle soup. <laughs> I'm sorry. You caught me off guard there. <laughs> Oh, you thought the jokes were over, right? We've been saving that bitch for a long. Sorry if we were uh, there wasn't as many jokes. We're a little low energy today. It was just like I think the preparation for this one took a lot out of us. There's a lot to Dahmer, and you know when you're doing like a big name like Dahmer that you're going to have people that have to have their say, like you got this wrong or you missed this. Yeah, we wanted we wanted to make sure we get this shit straight first. (sighs) We tried, though. I mean, but it's still I'm sure we got some shit wrong. I'm sure we did, and I'm sure we missed some things. You know, because people are crazy about Dahmer. So yeah, yeah. All right, Creepers, welcome back to the present. Hope you enjoyed that little blast from the past. I sure did. I listened to the little bits of it, and uh, I just realized how terrible we were, you know? I feel like that's everything. That's everything in art. Everything that you do, really, it sucks. Like, you always look back and go, man, I was garbage. And you think, like, you see that pattern enough, and you think, wait a minute, am I always going to look back and think I'm garbage? So I'm, I'm garbage right now. I'm kidding. It's a totally toxic way to think. 
But uh, speaking of uh, toxic, let's let's do the opposite of toxic, which would be non-toxic, which would be organic, which would be good for you, like Oh My Gaia. Oh My Gaia is an innovative all-natural deodorant, fragrance, and beard oil company specializing in paraben and aluminum-free products. Their innovative line of deodorants inhibit the growth of odor-causing bacteria while maintaining effectiveness. At Oh My Gaia, they use only all-natural paraben and aluminum-free organic ingredients. Uh, they have a ton of scents over there. Um, or if you don't want to scent at all, you can have unscented. Maybe you, you know, already have a body oil or something that you like, but you just want, you know, to keep the odor down in the armpit area or wherever you put it. But there's vanilla, cherry almond, sandalwood, lavender, lemongrass, Egyptian musk, coconut, dreamsicle, leather, lumberjack, honeysuckle, fireside. Um, one of my favorites is Egyptian musk. Uh, I also love barbershop. Um, I'm not sure if she has that one though. Sometimes it's a uh, it's a limited time thing. I think that one was a limited time. But I'll tell you something that's not limited time: True Crime Pine, which is our personal scent. Uh, it has our old school logo on it. It's got our mug shots. It's pretty dope. But if you finally decided that you want to try, oh my Gaia, you're like, you know what? These guys they actually sound like they believe in it, which we do. I have like four jars in my bathroom, and that's just four jars for me. I just like to have choices of what I smell like. Okay. But you can use code CREEPER if you want to try it for 15% off at ohmygaia.com, O-H-M-Y-G-A-I-A.com, or at shop underscore ohmygaia on Instagram. All right, guys, um, we're not going to do shout-outs in this one uh, for reviews and stuff. We're going to get that on the next regular freebie episode, um, because usually these episodes are are a bit longer, so, uh, you know, we don't want to take up all the time, but we appreciate everyone even you freeloaders, guys, of course, we appreciate it. We get comments all the time. We're like, it wasn't for freeloaders. I know, I know, I know. It's just a joke. It's funny. It's it's just all good. We love y'all. Thanks for listening. Uh, TrueCrimeGuys.com. All the episodes are on there. Also links to merch, uh, stickers, Patreon, all the good stuff. You can go from there. Social media, Twitter, oh, True Crime Guys, Facebook, True Crime Guys, Instagram, True Crime Guys. It's all good. If you just Google that, you can find it. Uh, you can also follow me on social media at and I'm Michael. I'm on Twitter and uh, Instagram, and then I also run the True Crime Guys uh, regular f- uh, Facebook page. The True Crime Guys closed group is also pretty cool. Um, there's also there's lots of uh, like-minded creepers on there sharing all kinds of inappropriate memes and such. So, all right, guys. Until next week. Thank you guys so much for all your support and your love. And thanks for listening. Go leave a review. Tell a friend. Keep creeping, y'all. True crime, guys. In the desert, we like a mirage. It's okay if you clicked on us because you thought we was true crime garage. Now we ain't mad at you. Sit down, let us talk at you. I'm talking to the creeper army. We out here making murder. Get murder, get murder, get murder. True crime, guys. In the desert, we like a mirage. It's okay if you clicked on us because you thought we was true crime garage. Now we ain't mad at you. Sit down, let us talk at you. I'm talking to the creeper army. We out here making murder charming.